up, Internet? You're tuned in to episode 48 of the Video Game Pals, the Pals Network's weekly video game podcast where a group of lifelong gamers get together to talk about video games, the news, and how it all makes us feel. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined today by my ever-present co-host and antagonist, Mr. Andy Brown. You know, I'm really not feeling that antagonistic today. I think I might be nice. Maybe. Yeah. Don't right. hold me to it. <laughs> I love, I love how Sean's immediate reaction is to roll his eyes. Well, I didn't like, say yeah, I'd be nice I'm to so Sean, sure. just maybe to Pete. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's, that makes sense. You're afraid of Sean. He's, he won't take any of your shit. Not like me. I've just I've, – I've built up a tolerance over the years. I just kind of – it's like a duck. I just let it roll off my back. But uh, we're also joined today by the edgelord with the heart of gold, Mr. Robert Thompson. Hey, Pete. How you doing? Did you have fun last week? Hey, Pete, I see you every friggin' day. Everyone else can go to hell, apparently. Hey, Pete. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. I get it. Like, he's been on this show. He knows what the rest of you are like. Yep. And I see Pete all the time, and, you know, we're pals. One might say we play games together. I don't know. Sometimes we play together yeah. or that okay that's uh, very <laughs> sexual. the guild master himself mr sean bartley hello hello glad to be back and oh yeah it's good to have you back buddy we missed you last week Thanks. i honestly doing the show without you is just it's always a bit of a nightmare <laughs> it's, it's hard it's hard to rein these fucking kids in what? you know no very believable listen me and peggy are team why are you like this it's great <laughs> And then Thompson literally just like sits in the corner and just like, please stop fighting! <laughs> <laughs> and rounding out the crew, the esports dynamo, Miss Peggy Ford. Hey, me, again. Again. <laughs> like, is it eventually not going to be you? Yeah. Like, when you say it me, it. it's like, fine, legit. But when you add the again, I'm always just like, like what? Like, one day you're just going to be like, okay, uh, yeah, my name is, um, yeah, it's actually Margaret. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm changing my whole bit, whoa, my whole persona. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's such a weird name. Why would you choose that? But, yeah, no. <laughs> Can we call you Marge? Fuck you. <laughs> the Esports Dynamo, Marge It's better than Pegasaurus, so I'll take it. <laughs> Marge Ford. Marge Pegasaurus Ford. <laughs> I like to think of the it me again as more of a like like an Undertale thing, you know? Despite everything, it's still it's Peggy. It's still me, yeah. Despite it all. <laughs> she goes to be a Cylon, you never know. She does look very determined, I'll say that much. Did you just call me a killer? No, yeah, well... No, like, seeing that the mouse could someday get the cheese, it fills you with determination. Determination. <laughs> so we're the video game pals in every week. No. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. What do you got for me? Uh, uh, <laughs> this I, is the video I, game I, pals. <laughs> where every week we get together to talk about video games. So let's start the show off the way we sometimes do by talking about what we're playing this week. Uh, so Thompson and I have some stuff to share, but I'm going to kick it over to Andy first because he's got some initial impressions on a little game called uh, Sea of Thieves. Yeah, so in a game that I've long said was going to be great, or a game that I've long said was going to be great came out and I was kind of right, kind of wrong about it. It's a lot of fun, but there's not like that much there. Mm. Um, I think that if they like, this is Microsoft who gets, you know, no slack ever, kind of like EA. So if they could survive the Rocky launch, I think this could end up being like a really special game. But right now, it's probably not worth paying 60 bucks for. Huh. Yeah, and that's that seems to be the kind of the overall opinion that I've heard about it. Yeah, it's like I I am really enjoying the game, but also there's like three kinds of missions that all basically boil down to the same thing. 
It's the get a map, find the island on the map, on your big map, go there and do the thing. And it's like, mm. it's really fun. And just the act of sailing is like refreshingly cool. Have you, have you found it been like, have you found it at all? Um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Like frustrating to not have like a full crew. Like is playing by yourself been okay? Yeah. Playing by myself has been fine. I get my little like one man sloop. Um, and it's like, it's fun because playing by yourself with other people around like, the map's really big, and they only have six boats on a server. Okay. So, it's like, you're not guaranteed to run into people every time you play. That's good. But, like, sometimes you can, and you'll see somebody off in the distance and say, I'm going to go fight that guy. Why? Because fuck him. Because <laughs> I can. Yeah. Can you make a career out of just, like, fighting people? Yeah, no, you can, um, so what you can do is, like, you can raid people's ships, and all the missions you do, you have to, like, go and pick something up and bring it back to a place. So, like, if you get somebody who's been out on, like, a three, four mission journey, and you raid their crew, and you just load up your boat with their treasure. Mm. That is pretty the cool. pirate's bounty. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, okay. in maybe the single weirdest design decision I can think of in a modern game, <clears throat> um, one of the, like, the factions that you do quests for has you go pick up, like, dig up buried treasure. And then you just sell the chests back to them instead of fucking opening them. <laughs> uh, that's a little questionable, so yeah. Can I just take the treasure? Like, that seems like good payment for all the work I just did. No, you just sell them a chest. Whatever, someone's gonna just sink your boat and take it anyway. They never so. said What's you were a difference? smart pirate, alright? <laughs> <laughs> I know two things, fighting and sailing, I'm not a money guy. <laughs> Um, the, the, like, cosmetics and stuff, and the progression is fun. Um, the progression's all cosmetic, which I like. I do like that, yeah. Nice. So, so, like, you start the game with a sword and a pistol, and you can eventually buy, like, a rifle and a blunderbuss, I think. Okay. But that's it, as far as gameplay unlocks goes. You just get prettier. So, when you unlock those, do you keep them? Like, yeah. or are they, like, okay, like, you can't die and have them taken from you? Nope, nope, nope. Okay. That's good. Yeah, you can't die and have them taken from you. Um, since I was playing on day one, I was able to buy the day one eye patch. Oh, I did hear about that, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> My favorite stupid joke I've ever seen, but. <laughs> the day one patch is not quite what you'd expect. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been honestly a lot of fun in playing it. I like. I've got some moments that I don't think I've ever been able to experience in a video game before. Like, the terror of I'm alone in a sloop and two galleons have decided they want to hunt me down. <laughs> like, okay, I'll try and lose them in a storm. And, like, with the way the ships are designed, you, like, can't see anything behind your sails if you're at full sail. Mm. So, you have to be like... So, you're just, like, running, hoping they're not gaining yeah, on you? Yeah, like, running... <laughs> Occasionally abandoning the wheel once I get up to speed to, like, make sure I'm not going at rocks. Inevitably finding out, oh, there's rocks coming up. Gotta turn. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Um, it is a lot of fun. And I hope that they uh, make it a little bit of a meteor experience and more people end up getting in that ecosystem. Well, you know, I think this is the time for 
that kind of problem. Like, if the core experience of the game is good, like, they can add content, yeah. you know? And, like, it could be a game that maybe it's not worth it right now, but if you pick it up on sale in a couple months when they flush it out a little bit, you might find yourself with a really good value then. So, hopefully, yeah, hopefully they keep supporting the game because I definitely want to play it, but um, when you told me, like, because I couldn't get Xbox Game Pass to work on my PC because I don't have Xbox uh, Live, um, so when you told me, like, it's not worth $60, I was like, all right, well, I guess that's that. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, would you say that it feels like a game in early access? I wouldn't, no. It, like, it feels complete. It's not buggy. It just, like, feels it bare. is what it is. It's, yeah, but, like, I don't know. I, I think it has a similar level of content to PUBG, a game. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> wow. Okay. Say no more. Or rather, I will say no more. Just, just, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> what a shock. A game about pirates, eh? Hey? Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag Sean was right on this one, I guess. Yep. <laughs> hey, man. Right again. It's not bad. <laughs> Never said it was bad. Oh, move on, move on, move on, move on, move on. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving right along, uh, Thompson and I got a chance to play uh, two brand new games over the last couple weeks, and um, I'm very excited to talk about both of them, Uh, the first of which is Kirby Star Allies. Ooh, Kirby Star Allies, you say? Where you have hearts and you throw them at people, and for some reason everyone loves you just because you're Kirby? You kiss your friends on the mouth to heal them. Um, Yeah, it's it's a loving game. It's super adorable. It inspires, like, very childlike whimsy. And I think that's probably the best way to describe that game is childlike yeah. whimsy. Um, you know, like, it's a Kirby game. Uh, it's, like, presentationally, it's gorgeous. The graphics are really pretty on the Switch. Um, it's the first time I think we've ever seen a Kirby game with, like, HD models, you know? Like, and it really looks gorgeous. Uh, the soundtrack is really great. Like, overall, it's a really pleasant experience you know i think my one big criticism of it and i think it's way worse um when you're playing honestly i mean it's i think it's pretty it's pretty bad either way but like kirby games are notoriously easy and this game is too easy for a kirby game this is fucking phenomenally easy like you could be asleep and win this game pretty much yeah it's like (laughs) i i think having um you know the like multiple uh character like setup you know, like, having the ability to have the sidekicks um, and, like, you know, play multiplayer is, like, when they did that for Mario, having more people playing makes the game harder. You know, like, having to coordinate, like, platforming with multiple people is more challenging. Whereas in this game, I feel like when when me and Thompson were playing together and we had the two CPU allies, it was like, as soon as an enemy was on the screen, they're fucking dead. You know, yeah. uh, we're just yeah. wiping dead. people out. It was like a rendition of Doom or like Duke Nukem where you're just like obliterating the screen every time you see something. Like, it didn't fucking matter. Like, there was super moves that we were doing where it combines like three different powers and all four of us like did something and there was like a friggin' like small little guy just on the screen the and it's screen. like, just the whole screen goes, you know, it's overkill every time. Yeah. A little too much, yeah. So it's like... So, it's great, but way too easy. Yeah, so like if you're looking for... You know, a challenge, a Kirby game is probably not the right pick for you anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I don't, I don't regret buying the game. You know, I'm having fun playing it. Um, it's, it's been a very like 
light, relaxing kind of experience. You know, it's been a really fun game to like unwind at the end of the day. Like when I want to play a game, but I don't feel like playing something that's like more, you know, um, like high octane, you know, like it's, it's been fun to have Kirby as like kind of a nice little thing to just chip away at. So if it's too easy for you, Pete, imagine how easy it's got to be for somebody who's like played Dark Souls. Oh, he's good at video games. Please. I'm not even going to bite on that bait. <laughs> Fucking good at video games. <laughs> Fucking beat Celeste and talk to me. Come back. Come back when you've played Shovel Knight, little boy. I was just playing uh, Bloodborne before we got on here. You know? I mean, <laughs> I've beat Dark Souls. I, I fit these criteria. <laughs> I yeah, yeah so I, I respect your opinion of too easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> too easy. <laughs> What's last time you even finished a game, Andy? <laughs> Games have ends? You probably finished NBA 2K18 or something. Nah, man. You finished NBA 2K18. I, I, I don't think you can do that. That shit don't end. I put 100 <laughs> hours into fucking 2K17 and I'm not slowing down. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think like final thoughts on Kirby Thompson. Like, I'm it's enjoying it. It's too easy. Yeah. It's too easy. It's a blast. But, you know, it's like, I think if you're interested in Kirby games, it's probably worth, it's probably worth your time. Maybe wait for a sale. But um, definitely fun. Uh, and then the other game we played, we just started this. Oh, wait. Also, sorry. Plugs. What? Go check out our Let's Play series of Kirby Star Allies. <laughs> we have uh, four episodes over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thecomicspouse. We had a great time. Uh, and the other game we played together this week was A Way Out, uh, which is that, you know, new indie yeah. joy from EA by uh, host Joseph. I forget his last name. Joseph. Fares, maybe? Fuck the Oscars. Fares? Fares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... This is a game I think pretty much all of us expressed interest in when we saw it the first time, and um, it's it's been really cool. I, Thompson and I are probably oh what, my god, what do we like this maybe game. probably like two hours into it, three hours into it, probably like three okay. right now. Um, and it's really good so far. You know, I think what it does um, directionally is is really interesting. Um, Obviously, for those of you who don't know, um, A Way Out's like a, it's a story-driven game, you know, but there's two main characters. It's meant to be played couch co-op, and uh, each of you takes control of one of the characters, uh, Vincent or Leo, and both of you have your story told at the same time in this split-screen kind of setup, and then the, the stories, like, will cross over at certain points, so, like... Um, one of the things that happened was there was like a segment where our characters are trying to break out of prison and we've like stolen a, uh, a couple tools to help us do that. So Thompson and I's characters are both trying to like disconnect the toilet that's in their cell so they can like climb through a hole in the wall behind it. And like while one guy is is chipping away at the thing to break the hole open, the other guy is like a lookout. And when there's guards coming, you can like tell the other player or you can like flag the guard down and be like, yo, I'm thirsty, man. Or like, how much do you make a year? And like try to distract them with conversation while the other guy does his part of the, you know, like the stuff. And um, it has like a very like heist kind of vibe, you know, like there's a lot of these very classic prison escape tropes like you have oh, to like yeah. get like a laundry yeah, it's, it's basket filled. and sneak each other out and all this shit it's just it's, it's really it's interesting fucking filled with tropes of like prison prison escapes and like just er- everything from it, it just anything you think of like that in this game so far and we have only scratched probably like i don't know i'm gonna guess a quarter third maybe i yeah, don't really know like the maybe. full length yet but uh we're like we're, we just broke out of the you know, prison yeah we sunk our teeth into it um 
it's fucking phenomenal so far. You know, like it has not disappointed on any level. Like no. it's it's great. It's visually great. Like yeah, oh, like the, the graphics sound are surprisingly great. good. Like yeah, there's the no uncanny valley fun. shit. Like yeah, man. the facial facial acting is really good. And like I, I think we experienced like one glitch in the two or three hours we played. Yeah. It was like a little bit of like a wonky like pop-in thing with the camera, you know, where it was like my character was like it. shimmying through a wall yeah. and then he kinda like you know <laughs> oh, yeah. stuttered a little well, bit. We have been running it for like two and a half hours at that point too. So like yeah. yeah. Possible needed you know, just a break. I don't know. Well, and it's not like it was like a game breaking bug. It was just no. like the camera was in a weird angle and it you know, but it like it was fine. Um, yeah, but it's just like super tight. The controls look really well and like there's really no glitches in it or anything. It's well made product, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, and like the story's well been pretty money. interesting so far. I think the voice acting's really good. Um, the characters are pretty interesting and I'm just really excited to play more of it. You know, like uh, it, uh, I was excited by the elevator pitch and I would say it's like, it's exactly meeting my expectations right now. Nice. You know, that's awesome. like it, it, I yeah. wouldn't say that it's like blown me the fuck away yet, but like I, it's done a lot of things that have really impressed me. And I think I'm really excited to see where it goes. Yeah. It's, it's got a lot of uh, the best parts of the David Cage, David Cage games that I liked from the past, but like but with none of the David Cage parts. Yeah. Made better. <laughs> yeah. And uh, most of the game, happens to be just this masterpiece whereas like before you know segments were good no this this whole thing so far like i've enjoyed every minute of it so awesome yeah um yeah man hey and the greatest thing it's couch co-op it's meant to be that way so it's like grab a friend split it 30 bucks each you know it's like not even a 60 hour game anymore yeah it's 15 you know? <laughs> it's like 15 bucks each if you split it with a pal um and yeah. you should definitely play it with somebody like you can play it online or play it with like a cpu i think but no, i don't think you can play it so with a cpu enhanced. you have to play it with the person Okay, so that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, we weren't sure when we did the Let's Play, but I know you can play um, online. Yeah, you can play. Like, I guess that would be fine. You can play but... online with just one copy of the game, too. Yeah. Yeah, right. You which can share with a friend, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, I, I like highly recommend this one. Uh, Sean, it looked like you were going to ask a question before. Were you? Uh, yes, but I now don't remember. Uh, so, <laughs> no. instead, I will say right. that I am really glad to hear that this game is good. Because this is one of those games that I was really looking forward to from, uh, you know, when they showed it initially at E3. So I'm really yeah. glad that this is working out and I might pick it up based on your recommendations. Yeah, I remember you saying that that was kind of like your game of the show, I feel like, for uh, – or at least for like some of the publishers because I think we yeah. split it up in a weird way. Yeah, because Couch Co-op is – that's like my favorite era of gaming, you know? Yeah, and yes. <laughs> it's it's a bygone era at this point, and so I love mm -hmm. that there's at least one game out there that not only has it, but promotes it and makes that a focal point of the game itself. So I'm really happy yeah. with that. It's fucking yeah, awesome, dude. Yeah, I would That's, like yeah. highly recommend it to anybody. Like if you've got a really close friend that you like to game with, you've got you know a significant other, sibling, like just grab somebody that is willing to commit to the whole experience with you and just. Give it a shot. I think I think you'll find a lot to love. Um, and again, uh, Thompson and I are doing a Let's Play series of it. So we've got the first four episodes shot. Or no, first eight episodes now. Um, so this week, uh, it'll be up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thecomicspals. Uh, by the time this is up on podcast services, the first two episodes should already be up there. So please go check them out. Let us know what you're thinking of it. And um, I, we're, we're planning on seeing this one through all the way through. Uh, so... Definitely, uh, um, we got it now. So. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm in, I'm invested, so I definitely want to want to keep playing. They're also um, gonna see so Nino yeah. Kuni 2 all the way through. 
Uh, meet us on episode 974 of our Nino Kuni 2 Let's Play series. <laughs> Mario uh, Maker 6000. <laughs> so uh, if you guys want to let us know what you're playing this week, remember you can write into the show and hear your thoughts right on the air. Give us a random question of the week or just say hey by dropping us a line at the video game pals at gmail.com. You can also follow our sister show at the comics pals, wherever your social media is sold to stay up to date with all the cool stuff we've got going on here at the pals network. Uh, you know, know about all the sweet let's play series we're rolling out, new videos, all kinds of fun stuff. We got guests over on the comics pals. We're doing all kinds of cool shit lately. Um, so if, you know, you're an audio listener, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a like on your platform of choice, uh, or if we're not on a platform you'd like us to get on, let us know and we'll get over there. Uh, but if you really want to help the show out, you can jump over to Apple Podcasts, where we're currently a five-star rated show. Uh, keep that trend going, help the show get recognized, get new eyes and ears on it. If you're a YouTube, uh, viewer, I guess, um, you can like this video, subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and as always, share the episodes with your friends, your pals, let them know that we're out here, that we're putting together a show that you enjoy, and that you think that they might enjoy it too. So, with that, uh, I've got a little, little question for y'all. So I think that means it's time for the random question of the week. You didn't even peek the mic this time. That's just disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Rip. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm working around the room. Like I moved around so that there's like a Doppler effect, you know? Like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he's it. like moving all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> that's question all angles. Yeah, Doppler right? <laughs> effect PD over here. Yeah. Uh, so... This is actually a question that Andy came up with. Um, I forgot to tell him we were using it so I could throw it to him. Oh, uh-huh. But uh, he he came up this with this one the other day when we were playing a little bit of League of Legends. And uh, Andy asks, what's the worst game that you'll go to bat for? So what is the shittiest game that you are, like, a fan of? Final Fantasy VII you know, like, not- I knew you were going to say that, Peggy. <laughs> I even waited a second longer than I probably should have. Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. <laughs> So yeah, for those who don't know, do you want to uh, just briefly tell that story in case they missed the episode where you you explained your relationship to Crisis Core? Okay, so basically what Crisis Core is, is it's the prequel to Final Fantasy VII where Zack Fair, who is like Cloud's mentor and like gets mentioned a little bit kind of indirectly, but also directly it's weird because it's Final Fantasy VII. But um, that entire uh, uh, story arc to what happened before... Final Fantasy VII is this entire game. So, you play Zach Fair, who is a recruit into Soldier, which is that big, like, military militia thing uh, for Shinra Corp. And you go through the entire thing as to how Cloud ended up with, like, Mako poisoning. Event- Mako poisoning? Is it Mako? I forget. Um, oh, we're not dorks. Yeah, fair. But uh, uh, <laughs> it goes through that entire thing. Um and leads up to the events of Final Fantasy VII, which is something I have said repeatedly now, but, you know, you get it. Uh, but yeah, so it is an incredible game, and it goes to show how uh, how Cloud ended up in his situation as a mercenary, how uh, Aerith had, like, a, a lost love sort of situation with, with Zack, and uh, how Zack ends up dying, and how Cloud got his buster sword, and and it, co- it it covers a lot of the prequel stuff and, like, the, the background information that makes a lot more sense when you play Final Fantasy VII, which makes sense, because I didn't play Final Fantasy VII before this, I just played <laughs> Crisis Core, and then, oh, wow. eventually, I played <laughs> Final Fantasy VII, because I was like, well, cool, I never actually finished it, though, because I was like, Cloud's, I mean, uh, Zack's not here, but yeah, um, uh, 
It was shit on. <laughs> Never finished Final Fantasy VII. Loves Crisis Core. <laughs> it was. That's all you need to know about Peggy. Fuck Trash. you. It was absolutely shit on by Adam Sessler of X Play. Like infamously, infamously shit on. Um, but it was a really good game. It was a really good game, and I would, I will defend that goddamn PSP game to my death. <laughs> <laughs> it is easily it is easily in my top five. Not kidding. No joke. Wow. Top five of all time. Like Skyrim's up there as well. Uh, Breath of the Wild, Crisis Core, right there. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> to be fair, the reason why though is just because like it was I di- I came into it not knowing anything about Zach, so I didn't know he was gonna die at the end. So. The You're spoiling the whole head. game. What if people want to go play Crisis Core, man? You just told the entire. All right, so here's the entire plot. And did and that's why. I don't good. think I did that well. Uh, <laughs> but but like it's an amazing game, and I did not know that he was going to die at the end. So like when it actually hit, it hit hard for me. And like it was the first character I think in any, eh, the first like three games in which I was actually invested in the main character. So, like, that's why. The story is great. I'm not saying the voice acting's great or the combat system or the graphics or or anything The involved. game. <laughs> but it was a great game. It was a great game and I loved it and I still love it. If I had a PSP, I would play through it again because I played through it, through it multiple times. So, yeah, I will defend that. Yo, where's that. that Crisis Core remaster at, Square? <laughs> it's right behind the uh, Super Mario... Uh, what's it called? What'd I say? Sonic 06. Sonic 06. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still, oh, by the way... Needs a remake. Just gonna say. All right, right. go for it. Okay, You're, that's your time. Moving around. <laughs> <laughs> I yield my time to Peggy? Yay! No, okay, Andy. So- <laughs> Shut up. Nope. Thompson, you go. <laughs> uh, this is hard, man. I, I like a lot of shitty games, but... Uh, <laughs> I think the one I really enjoy the most might be, like, I Divine Cybermancy, which is, like, something I'm may have mentioned to you once or twice i don't know it's a shitty like steam game i got on sale for like 99 cents a couple years ago okay it's made by like a french company and the translation is really bad so half the words aren't localized correctly and it's all out of context (laughs) and it's like a pseudo it's like ran off the source engine and it's like a pseudo warhammer 40k kind of clone it's crazy. It's 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 just this fucking mind trip of an experience of a game. It you play through the game, you beat it, and then it resets itself, and you're like, "What the fuck is that an ending?" <laughs> and then you got to do it three different ways. You got to kill different people different time. They don't tell you any of this though. And then so when you get the third time, you get these like engrams, which is like meh, makes no sense. But then you got to get the real ending by like, you know, do it's just like nuts. It's fucking nuts, and it's like cheap. Like a dollar, <laughs> like get it on sale. It's this it's, dollar it's game weird. with no direction and bad translations. <laughs> you fight like demons on Mars and shit. It's totally up my alley. But they don't explain why there's demons on Mars. You, I I know all this stuff. I could get into it. I could write a friggin' like thesis on this game. But um, Mars the demons lore is ridiculous. Thesis by Robert Thompson. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. But uh, I mean, one of the coolest things about this though is like you start level one. Obviously, you're not that great. Um, the, the points you put into your characters really, really affect the way the game is played. So if you played Morrowind back in the day, uh, when you had like athletics 6,000, you were jumping over buildings. Like that's kind of like this game too. So when you hit like, if you, if you start farming this game a little bit and get on your, like your third playthrough to get like the real ending, you're able to like just jump 30 times over enemies, like fuck them. You know, you just like, you just hopefully (laughs) go over them. It doesn't give a shit. You know, like the strongest gun in this game is a pistol. 
I'm just pointing that out. It's a, it, it's weird. It does like six thousand damage. This thing's fucking nuts. It like fires and your character practically falls over. Like a deagle. <laughs> it's bigger. It's like three of them slapped together. But it's oh. yeah, that's the strongest gun in the oh. game. Uh, the guns in this game are ridiculous. Like the first gun you start off with is an SMG that has like a burst fire of like a hundred bullets a second. The secondary fire is like two hundred bullets a second. What? So yeah, this yeah, that sounds like, great. Kind of the, yeah, fine. <laughs> you can like get uh, any gun in the game pretty much right off the bat. So like, Tell you me, I thought we were talking about like, bad games. This sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, but it's like again, zero translations of this game work. It's like wonky as shit. Uh, everyone speaks like friggin' like peanuts gibberish at you when they talk. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you're like, oh, what's, what's <laughs> happening? There's no direction. It's like, like hey, go over here. <laughs> it's fucking weird, but I highly recommend it, man. And it's like, it's a piece of shit, but it's so good. It's just so good. If you can get into it. Like, a couple of my friends have tried to play it, and they've gotten ten minutes in, they've been like, I oh, don't fuck this shit. What's so. this game called? I Divine Cyromancy. It's like E dot Y dot Oh my e god. Dot, you know? Of course it it's is. It's like an acronym for something. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah, I know. But it's it's a old, cruddy game. I think it goes for like ten bucks originally. You, it's on sale all the time. For like nine nine cents. So. Please buy this game. <laughs> I mean, I spent like way too much time into Thompson, it. Thompson, you didn't yeah. tell me. I just looked it up on Steam. You didn't tell me that you and up to three friends can play. Oh no, up to sixty four people can play on this game. If you want to play the single player, it, it hosts sixty four player servers online. I don't know why, and like it's ridiculous because it's like imagine playing the single player of like I don't know Doom with like sixty four people. I've been in games like that before when it was hot back in the day. Now I think like 10 people play, so like that's not going to happen. But I'm just saying, it's fucking weird. So <laughs> Back when it was hot and the servers were packed with literally dozens of players. Yeah, there was like a couple of hundred players. of us at one point. <laughs> Ooh, should I run Battlefleet Gothic as my shit game that I I'd go to bat for? <laughs> I was going to say, Thompson, honestly, you had a lot to pick from. I was like, you could really throw do. out Metal Gear Survive. Yeah, like, it, there's it, so it, many games. Yeah, that's where, uh, for reference, that's where this question came from. Because we were talking about Thompson hates Metal Gear Survive. <laughs> But also loves it. Oh my god! I also put yeah. over a hundred hours into it. I haven't played it in a week or two, but good. And I'm looking back on it. I'm starting <laughs> to think it might be shittier than I remember. And every time I go to play it, I'm just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I just don't do it. <laughs> All right. What about you, Andy? Um. So I got a double whammy. I'm gonna throw an honorable mention at Batman: Arkham Origins, which I don't even think is a bad game. I just think it gets a bad rap. People think it's a bad game. Yeah, people think it's a bad game. I think it's the best of the Arkham games. That's insane. I I, I haven't played it, so I can't speak to that. But. Um, it, it like it feels like a better Batman story, and it's basically just literally Arkham City with a different coat of paint and story. So, mm. all right. And so, what's your real answer? anyway? My real answer: the worst game that I deeply, truly love is L.A. Noire. It's a good pick, which is solid. A like. Could have been great. It's got the skeletons of a great game, and those yeah. are the things I love about it. But also, like, why the fuck did Rockstar make this game? <laughs> what, a just fair like, question. there's just so many things about that game where I'm just like, why did you do that like, this like, way? Literally, that game's so much better if it's just like a linear detective game and it's not a fucking open world drive around a faithful recreation of 1940s LA. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like that uh all the parts of the game that aren't the detective stuff are really just not good. Like do you you don't like like shitty GTA 4 driving around town? 
No, I literally always let my partner drive. I was just like, you drive and take me wherever we're supposed to go, and I'll just listen to dial. <laughs> Those are great. Like You can, you can play it in VR. You can mm-hmm. play it in VR now. With hey. the power of Nintendo Switch, you can use gyroscopes to look at evidence. With the power <laughs> of a VR headset, you can do the same. <laughs> this is like the game that everybody threw all the coolest ideas in, and they were just like, isn't it cool yet? No, it still sucks. I'm sorry. You know, just keep putting good ideas in. You know, It's so got it's, VR. It's got gyroscopes. Also, it's got all this other cool shit. Eh, fuck it. I, it still sucks. I think it's theoretically better now in the, uh, the HD re-release it got last fall. But is it only um, because it's in HD now? Like, did they change uh, anything else? Uh, it might have solved the one like weirdest problem with their wonderful, really intense face capture that nobody else has ever used. Where it was still on the Xbox 360 slash PS3, so you'd have the really intense face capture on like Xbox yeah. 360 Rockstar models. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, like, there would be, like, I think, like, my favorite thing is, like, sometimes you'd be interrogating someone, and, like, the tells would just be, like, super obvious. Like, you know, they'd be, like, no. (laughs) 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 Oh, okay, I think you're lying. (laughs) That is, by way of tutorial, in defense of it, like, it gets a lot harder towards the end of the game when you start, like, dealing with serial killers and people who are good liars and et cetera. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It sucks. It's, the game, game has a lot of promise, not a lot of great execution. Uh, so basically, the skeleton just got adamantium, and it's still just a skeleton. Yes. It's like a beefed up skeleton. <laughs> mm. So, Sean, what about you? So, this is hard because uh, all the games because I, I like don't play good. bad games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but conceding that other people uh, have negative feelings about these games, uh, I'm going to elect. All three of the original Digimon World trilogy of games. Yo, I legit thought about those games for my pick. That's solid. Those games, especially the third one, are like the third one is is very good. But the third one's hot. Yeah, uh, you know, like where you get to go and like that's the one with the VR world, right? And you get like the three Digimon instead. Yes, yes. Yeah, that game was that awesome. game was amazing. Uh, I don't think people have the the best opinions about it or the fondest memories, but. Yeah, any of those games I could I could play on my PS3 right now and have a phenomenal time. So that's the second one I wasn't as as big a fan of with like the dungeon crawling stuff. The dungeon crawling, yes, it's a little weird, and again, a lot of people do not like it. But I yeah. find it to be a lot of fun. It was a, it was a very different kind of experience than anything I had done at that time. Uh, I thought that you know the fact that you could like you had to build your own. Um, sort of machine to go digging through those dungeons and you had to deal with all the traps and stuff and there were ways you could lure Digimon onto your team. It was just so cool and it was so... Very strategic. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then the first one, I mean, just being like a like a like what, like a Tamagotchi simulator of sorts? Yeah, but like um, with fighting. With like fighting. It felt like a really natural evolution of the actual like handheld Digimon yes, things that they had. Exactly. Uh, and another game where the way that you evolve your Digimon, the way that you, you care for them is not immediately obvious all the time. Yeah. Uh, which I, I always thought was really brilliant uh, and a very different experience to Pokemon. People always say, oh, Digimon is a Pokemon copycat. And the games are nothing like Pokemon at all. Wow. Um, and not better, not better, but just different and a lot of fun for me, especially at that time. 
I really just think if they hadn't called Digimon Digimon, that, like, that comparison wouldn't come up. Like, you don't ever hear people being like, oh, Monster Rancher is just a Pokemon clone. It's like, you know, it's like they're similar, but they're very different. Right. They should have called it Ranchermon, and then it would have... Ranchermon would have taken off, man. <laughs> Monstermon. Uh, I think my favorite thing about the first game, too, is, like, it looks like shit by modern <laughs> comparisons, but, like, I just... That game's aesthetic was so cool. Yep. Like, it had, like, a very, like, kind of, like, it reminded me of the anime where it's, like, kind of a little bit scary, like, a little yeah. bit grittier, you know? Like, parts of the world are really dirty and sketchy yeah. and, like, you know, like, it really felt like you were, like, on an intense adventure. And the fact that there was, like, permadeath, too, where yeah. it's, like, if you go to the wrong spot, like, your Digimon's gonna die and you're gonna start all over and, like... That, I remember, like, going to New... Like, the, when you get to the second island the first time and, like, encountering Ogremon and, like, my Digimon died and I was just, like, fucking traumatized. I was like, <laughs> I can't! I can't! I gotta go train my harbor! It was horrible. traumatized. <laughs> it was fucking fucked up, man. Yeah. I was, like, nine years old. My Digimon died on me. And, you and know, like, you have to, like, bury them and shit. Yeah, like, it's sad. <laughs> that's, that's a little much. I like. I'm pretty sure like they turn into an egg, and then like you get like they like they're like oh they're reborn as a baby Digimon. It's like you can't lie to me. They fucking died, bro. <laughs> but but it, it also doesn't necessarily become the same exact Digimon. Like it become like, right becomes something totally different. And no, you mean my Agumon's not gonna be Agumon anymore? No, it's gonna become not- you know Patamon. No, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that happened to me. Like, my first one was a Patamon, and I had an Angemon, and he died, and then I was like, well, now I have Agumon, I guess. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yo, Agumon is bae. Um, <laughs> what? The, the little head shake you did for Agumon is like, bae. Yeah. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, like, hating he's on Agumon. He's like, Agumon he's, like that. He's probably, like, my third favorite. Ty and Agumon Yikes. are the best team. They're the best team. I'll, I'll agree with that. They're the best team of the original DigiDestin. I just like I prefer. I think Patamon and and um Gabumon. That's, that's fair. I like. I don't remember his name, but I like the weird season three Velociraptor Digimon. Oh 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 god. Oh, I can't think of his name. Gilmon! Gilmon! Yes. Fuck yeah, dude. He was what that's where it's at. Season three of Digimon. Very that cool. Was, Very cool. That was my first exposure to meta narratives in children's anime. Yeah, where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's set in a world where the anime is real. Whoa! Like, <laughs> very cool. Alright, this is not the Digimon pals though, so I'm gonna much give as my we head. might like it to be. Uh <laughs> Please don't it's even ask me. Like Marco will never let me live that down. <laughs> <laughs> for all the times I've told him Pokemon was better. Um, so for me, uh, I'm gonna pick an, another PS1 classic. Uh, I'm gonna pick the uh, original Spider-Man game by NeverSoft. <laughs> that game is that game is phenomenal. What are you talking about? Listen, I love that game, Sean. But like Phil and I played it. Uh, like I beat the entire game in one five-hour sitting recently. And like, don't get me wrong. There's so much about that game that's awesome. Like, um, presentation-wise, awesome. Like, the graphics for the time were really cool. The fact that it's, like, actually inspired by the comics and, like, gets a decent amount of, like, deep lore stuff correct, very cool. Peggy from uh, Comics Pals, what's up? It's Meme Town, you heathen. All right, anyway. Oh, I question. forgot, I was on the spot. Is this the one <laughs> where, where that, speaking of memes, is this the one where that meme came up where, like, 
Spider-Man is like jumping into a burning building to save this girl who's on who's like attached to a bomb and if you fail that quick time event, she just says, I'm going to die, and then the entire thing blows up. <laughs> no, no. I, th- I think that's from one of the like the PS2 era uh, Spider-Man games, like from the movie. This one was like older, blockier. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All around not Sean. even that good. Oh. Gotcha. Just checking. And it's like, again, don't get me wrong. I love this game. That's why I'm here going to bat for it. But, like, it's a PlayStation 1 era, like, action platformer. Like, the camera's really bad. And that's really its greatest sin. Is like, I, you know, um, Sean, obviously you, you played the game. I'm sure you remember it. Do you remember there's, like, that par- portion of the game where you're, like, in the factory with all the, like, symbiote monsters yes, and everything? Yes. There's like a scene in the game where there's like a really like you're on a you're on the top of yes. an elevator and it's going down the shaft and you have this like isometric like camera angle and it's like you're like and it keeps janking around and it's all fucked up and I remember like at that point in the like 5 hour recording that Phil and I did that I still haven't been able to export and put out um I literally hit this point where I'm just like, I can't fucking do this anymore! And I just hand the controller off to Phil and walk away for a few minutes, because I was just like, I can't handle this camera right now. (laughs) And it's like, I love that game. It does so many things right, but like, bad camera, very, very blocky controls. Like, the mission where you have to chase Venom, and he just keeps like springing ahead of you, and it's just like... I can't swing in a straight fucking line because this is on a four, because it's, you're using the D-pad on like a four grid system and I can't angle the direction I need to go to and shit. And it's just like, oh my God. That's know, actually man. what being Spider-Man is like. That's a, that's a very well received game. It should that's, have been reflected well, yeah. in Spider-Man Homecoming, really. Well, and, and that's the thing is, I, I think that that game at its time, like, should have been really well received. Like, it, it was an amazing game at the time, and I think it holds up fairly well for what it is, but it, it's got some problems. It's got some problems. I, I love that game, though. I'm here. Com- I'm going to Compared to Crisis Core, man, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, you picked a game that I legitimately enjoy. Yeah, but not so everybody like, has that feeling. <laughs> like, that's fair. <laughs> There's got to be some jaded fucking video games uh, commentator out there who's like, you know what, guys? Spider-Man by Neversoft? Not that good. Find his video. <laughs> Go leave him a comment. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so remember, if you want to write in with your own random question, you can hit us up at the video game pals at gmail.com or let us know in the comments down below, and you can save me a few minutes when I put the show together. <laughs> so with that, I guess that means it's time for... The News. The News. We're talking about the News. The News. The News. We're talking about the News. Alright, so we've got six items on the news list this week, and uh, some pretty, pretty nifty stuff here. Uh, so let's start off with uh, the Nindies Showcase. So Nintendo, uh, as they're wont to do, they dropped another little like 11-ish minutes video um, announcing kind of all the indie games that are coming to the Switch platform over the next, like, eh, like four months or so. It was, like, all stuff that was pretty much slated for springtime, you know, uh, early summer. So um, a lot to look forward to here. I think there's a couple games that look pretty sick. Um, you know, you guys have all checked out this video, correct? Yeah. yeah. All right, so I'm going to just go through this list right here I got from uh, holdtoreset.com where they have just kind of a breakdown of all the games that were announced. Um, I'm going to read through them, and if any of them stuck out to you, you know, let's let's talk about them. 
Uh, so we've got a remaster of Mark of the Ninja, which I think was a was a Genesis game or something. Um, but you know, classic uh, stealth game remastered for the Nintendo Switch. Uh, looks pretty cool. Not really a lot of stealth games on the platform, so it might be something to pick up. Uh, Fantasy Strike, which comes uh, summer. Oh, sorry, Mark of the Ninja coming in the fall. Um, Fantasy Strike, uh, which one was this? Do you guys remember? It's the fight, it's the this fighting one was the game. fighting game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this looked pretty cool. What, what did you think about this, Sean? Uh, I wasn't particularly interested in it. I don't like games where the environment affects you. Uh, mm, it seemed like mm-hmm. they showed like the how the wind impacts the gameplay and different stuff like that. So I wasn't terribly into it. And it was, it wasn't really... I couldn't really get a feel for what the mechanics were other than that. So, uh, as a result, it didn't really do anything for me. That makes sense. The characters were also pretty, like, basic looking. Yeah, it does have, like, a bit of a generic look to it, you know? Um, But, like, I I don't know. I guess, like, it's interesting to me because I feel like you don't really see a lot of indie fighting games – you know, that, like, True. have, like, this, like, level of, of like, polish. And, uh, you know, I don't know that it'll necessarily take off, but it is interesting to see somebody else kind of throw their hat in the ring and try to do something different. Yeah, I guess uh, the fighting game space right now is extremely competitive, and I just don't know yeah. how this game fits. But you never know. Yeah, where it can, like, find a niche for itself, yeah. you know? For sure. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think that's, like, honestly probably... Probably a good point. I think the one uh, counter I would raise to that is, like, it's going to be on Nintendo Switch, and, like, software moves really well there, so I could see it finding an audience there because there really aren't a lot of alternatives. You know, the only other fighting games I can think of on Switch right now are that port they did of uh, Street Fighter, which was apparently not great. And Pokémon Tournament. Yes, and Pokémon. That's a good point. And wouldn't um, people just wait for Smash anyway, since that's coming out in a... In a- Fortnite or so, probably more. (laughs) That wasn't meant to be a pun. I was was like, I don't know. (laughs) It's going to be like, it's going to be a while, but I can still, I can still see people saying, well, Smash is going to come out eventually. So I'm just going to wait for, for that to be my premier fighting game on the switch. Yeah. There's something to that probably. Right. I mean, this is a summer game. So I think there's a chance it comes out and finds an audience before Smash, mm. where it's like, I want something on Switch, and Smash isn't coming for a couple months. Yeah, fair. But yeah, that's, there's something to that, probably. Uh, so then next up, we had Just Shapes and Beats. Um, this looks really interesting. You know, it's a pretty colorful rhythm game. Um, that's, like, not exactly my jam, but, like, the overall, like, look of it looks pretty cool. And I remember they said that there's, like, a pretty big focus on... Um, on, like, chiptune artists and stuff like that, which is my vibes. So I could see myself maybe getting into this. Pete likes chiptune? The right price point. What's that? Pete likes chiptune? Yeah, right? What's that about? Whoa. Yeah, I'm not going to be paying 60 bucks for this, but, like, if it's, it's like, like 40 $20 maybe. Yeah, 40 30 30 I would definitely, 40 would be, like, well, depends on the, uh, the playlist, but, yeah. Yeah. I think looking at it, it looks like it's probably, like, a $10 to $25 game. I'll take it. Yeah. So... Yeah, like, I could fuck with that. Um, yeah, so then next up, uh, there was Garage. That game looks um, fucking trippy. Yeah, like, it's very interesting looking. It's, like, isometric, uh, post-apocalyptic adventure action like kind of game. Like, horror kind of thing. 
Yeah. Like, it kind of looks like if Hotline Miami was, like, set in, like, a drab, like, Fallout-esque yeah. kind of world, you know? I don't know. Not not necessarily, like, for me, but did that – is that something you think you might pick up, Andy? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. For sure. Uh, so, this next one I think is probably the one I'm most excited about, Pool Panic. Uh, it's a, it's a new Adult Swim games joint. Um, very like heavily animated, and uh, it you know it looks like it's like a really interesting kind of like party, like you know frantic, not like fighter, but like you know what I mean, like one of those like mayhem party kind of games, but like playing off billiards with like a very like Adult Swim kind of like art style to it. Um, I don't know. It looks really fun. It's a game I definitely think would be fun at like parties and you know. Oh yeah. It looks smartly. Around. It looked very Rick and Morty, which is it does. Yeah. Um the the faces on the pool balls kind of remind me of like Mr. Meeseeks yep. or like the fucking the moons or whatever that were like you know show me what you got. So I feel like that's I feel like that's going to be a success. Uh, and like just frankly, like I'm a big fan of Adult Swim games. You know, like. Every game I've played by them, um, that's been published by them anyway, has been fucking great. Like Duck Game is they, the shit. They make good games. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm here for this one. This is honestly, I think, the one I was probably most excited for from everything we saw. Um and it's cool that it's a Switch exclusive. It's pretty cool that they're like getting it on the platform now and, you know, trying to support it. Um, which not necessarily surprising, but um I, and that one's coming later twenty eighteen, which is a bummer. I think it's a Switch <laughs> console exclusive. Because uh, there's a Steam page up true. for it, so. Okay, okay, yeah, because I remember they, I think they said coming first to Nintendo Switch. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. they I like, feel like it'll probably come other places later. They made everything in that sound like exclusives, even when, like, a bunch of them were. Yeah. That's, that's what Nintendo does. Yeah. With this, like, uh, it's exclusive, it's, but it's like, well. It's exclusive if is- you mean, like, in this one specific circumstance. <laughs> yeah, it's also just, like, I feel like when it comes to, like, when you say exclusive, like, most of the time when you're talking about an indie game, like, it's also coming to PC. You know? Like, there aren't many indie games that come out just on one platform. True. You know? True. Uh, so then next up, we had uh, Bomb Chicken. Looks like just kind of a standard platformer. It looks like, It looks cute. It looks like, yeah. uh, like somebody took Dig Dug and made a platformer out of it, and I'm about that shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I definitely think this looks all right. Um, then we got, uh, I don't know how to say this one. Uh, but, Luminez, uh, I think. Luminez, okay. Um, remastered, which was a, a PSP game that was really well received and, it's, like, it's beloved. It's fucking excellent. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm definitely yeah, going to pick this um, one. Yeah, I, I've never played it, so I don't really have any exposure to it, but it's a game that, like, I've heard a lot about over the years, so I'm excited. It's a lot like, um, that Square Enix game, The World Ends With You, when they're like, oh, yeah. they're remastering this, is like, hey, awesome, I never got to play that, so I will definitely fucking check that out. Um, but yeah, Lumines is like a, uh, it's a puzzle game, you know? So, uh, it, it's like, it's kind of hard to explain without you just, like, looking at a trailer of it, so uh, much like everything in our news items, we've linked to a place down below where you can check everything out. So go check it out, if you're interested. Uh, the next up, we got Reigns, Kings, and Queens. This game is tight as hell. Ooh. I actually played the shit out of this game on the PC already, like, a long time ago, so I'm really happy about this. This is the only one I care about, uh, this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I haven't played the expansion um, with Kings and Queens, but, yeah, Reigns is really fun. It's, um... Run a, run a kingdom by Tinder? Yeah, it's, like, it's a story-based game where it's, like, they just keep giving you cards and you just, like, make choices. You know, it's, like, oh, like, 
you know, somebody shows up and they're like, oh, like, I have this, like, medicine you can buy for your kingdom. And you're like, no, fuck you. And then everybody gets dysentery and dies. And you're like, oh, shit. You know, so it's. But you it, always play the successive person from when you last left off. So the right. timeline keeps progressing. And then there's like an overarching story that starts building up. So if you have a guy that lives like 100 years and does a ton of shit, you're great. And yeah, most of yeah. the time you're going to have like the first 10 people are going to live five years and die. And that's it. Yeah, it's another tight game from Devolver, so uh, definitely yeah. check that one out if you haven't yet. Devolver um, seems makes like a, fucking good shit. They really do. Uh, it seems like Switch seems like a good home for it. Um, very, very, you know, fun game to, like, kind of jump in and play for, you know, an hour or 15 minutes. Um, so, yeah, then next up uh, we got uh, Lightfall. This which, game looks um, hype as fuck. This looks fucking hot. Yeah, dude. Um, very, very cool, like, N++ Meat Boy-esque looking platformer, you know? Like, very floaty, very long jumps, looks like it's very, like, super aggressive. Um, I'm about it. Like, it's this, I love this kind of game. This was the only game that I thought looked cool here. Um, and this is the only game out of all of these that I could actually see myself playing. It it looked like a lot of, a lot of fun. There's just something about it. Um, yeah, and then next up, we got uh, West of Loathing. Um, Everybody play that game. Everybody play that game. Yeah, uh, Andy, do you want to talk about the yeah, fun? Yeah, um, I actually just played West of Loathing a couple months ago. Uh, I talked about it a lot in our, like, year-end stuff. I picked it up over the Steam Christmas sale while I was home for a winter break. And, like, it is the funniest game I've ever played. Um, a tight JRPG and... My favorite experience with a Western video game. That's the grossest thing I've ever heard. It's a, um, it's it's so fucking funny. It's like a Western JRPG. You pick like you can pick a class that's like cow puncher or snake oiler. <laughs> well, and don't forget the main hook. I think which is the art. Oh, is it's, literally it's, all, little, it's stick figures. Literally all stick figures. Yeah, if you've ever played the uh, the Kingdom of Loathing games, like in your browser. Um, it's oh, I didn't know that there was like a history to this. Yeah, it, oh, yeah. Cool. There's Kingdom of Loathing. It's like a browser-based MMO that is similarly jokey, but this is like a, a full-fledged release. It's really good. Um, I really like. I had a good time exploring its like version of the West. I remember you had a lot of really positive things to say about it. So that was another one that like really piqued my interest. You know, when you because you had sung its praises quite a bit yeah. on PC. So I, I imagine I'll pick this one up. I think the Switch is a good home for it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Um, so then next up, we got Poda. Um, another, like, stylish, artsy little indie game adventure kind of deal. Yeah, like, that's like the, really the like, co-op puzzler one, right? Yeah, yeah. And it has, like, a very, like, bright, cell-shady, artsy indie game kind of look to it, you know? Um not it didn't really do too much for me to be honest with you yeah um so whatever about that one uh and then there was the the messenger i don't remember this one it's another generic name do you, do you guys um, remember which one this was i do not oh wait no that's the one where you're the ninja who goes back and forth between the 8-bit <sighs> games and the 16-bit yes. games yeah yes that looks fucking cool it looks a lot like um like ninja gaiden yeah 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 i'm definitely into that one as well that's another one i definitely see myself picking up uh, and then we had uh, Bad North. Um, I'm not remembering this one either. I am Googling it now. Oh, oh wait, yeah, wait, wait. The Tactical Roguelike Adventure. 
Yeah, that's like the isometric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Kingdom battler kind of thing. Looks vaguely um, like if Kentucky Route Zero were Vikings. Yeah, honestly. Very similar kind of art style, just like different view. And then um, last uh, but not least, we got Banner Saga 1 and 2 are coming soon. And then Banner Saga 3 will be coming in summer 2018. I am going to pick up all of those games, I think. I've never played them, so that's another one I'd like to give a shot to. I own Banner Saga 1 and 2 across like three different platforms multiple times, but I haven't played them all through on the same platform. So like I want to like do a full long run through of the series in prep for three so I can have like my full choices and you know. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think I'm probably going to do a similar thing. Um, just because I haven't ever played them before, and like they're very, very they're much very up good. my alley. Yeah. So, um, I feel like again, Switch is a great home for them, and it's a great time for me to take the advantage of being like, "Hey, I wanted to play that and didn't." Glad they're putting it on the Switch. Uh, so moving right along. Um, or any final thoughts on this? I think we all kind of said which games were the ones we were excited for. So, um, all right, yeah. So moving right along. Um, Nintendo is bringing live tournaments back to E3. Uh, so both Splatoon 2 and Smash for Nintendo Switch will be featured in tournaments on June 11th and 12th, respectively, uh, in two different formats. Splatoon 2 is going to have a World Championship event uh, that's going to have four teams who qualified from the U.S., Canada, Europe, Japan, and Australia. Um, uh, so that's United States and Canada, so it's like North America. Um, which is interesting, I thought. I was like, the team is, like, there's Canadians and Americans on the same team? Okay. Um, but this is like the first world championship that they've ever done. And they're, you know, kind of building that up as being a big deal. Uh, and then the Smash Bros. tournament is an invitational with an undisclosed number of top players being invited by Nintendo. Um, so Nintendo senior, uh, marketing manager, um, oh shit, uh, Bill Trinan is his name. I forgot to write it down. But, um, Bill Trinan, uh, told Polygon that the tournament is going to be very similar to the one that they did back in 2014, which if you'll remember was, uh, the first Smash Four Invitational, and they did it uh, just a few months before Smash Four released. So this is obviously a big deal because um, this is likely where we're going to see the game in action for the first time. Even if we get tidbits of it before then, this is going to be the first time we see extensive amounts of gameplay of Smash, most likely. And um, you know, it'll be only a, sh- a few short months away from the game's release at that point. You know, uh, the like I said in 2014, they did this, and then Smash Four came out uh, in October. October 3rd on 3DS, and then September 13th on Wii U. So this will likely be four months, maybe, mm. before we have Smash in our hands, if, if, if we're talking about a similar timeline here. Um, so, Sean, as our, our resident fighting expert, what's your what's your read on this whole thing? When did you say this is happening again? E3. So uh, I think they said June 11th is going to be the Splatoon one, and June 12th will be first match. Right. So uh, I find that to be very strange. Because there's no release date announcement. We haven't seen an official trailer. E3 is not terribly far away. And if the game yep. is ready to go within a few months of E3, I'm, I'm not understanding how we haven't, we literally haven't seen an ounce of gameplay, which again leads me to feel like this is probably just Smash 4 updated because that just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, I don't know though, just because that's what they did with Odyssey last year. You know, like we didn't really see much of Odyssey until we got the E3 presentation and then, hey, it's out in this fall. Like, you saw something though, right? You're, yeah, you're right. But 
we still have a bit of time here. Like, I, I, I don't say that I'm disagreeing with you because I, I think I kind of do think it's some kind of Smash Four, you know, evolution of it more so than like hard stop Smash Five. But I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, I, I really like. I think if it was any other year, I'd be having the exact same thought. But, like, given the fact that this is a transitional year between, like, the Switch being brand new and then them, like, you know, being more open about their plans with it because they're not holding everything close to their chest. Like, if they were developing this game for a new console that we didn't know about until last year, it makes sense that they would, you know, kind of keep it tucked away like they did with Odyssey. But... I don't know. But that, I mean, it sounds like you just kind of said two different things, right? Right? Because, like, if they weren't keeping it close to the chest, then we would know more. Yeah. Not less. No. Yeah. I'm saying I feel like this game might be one of the last examples of something that they would keep close to their chest because of the timeline on which it was developed. You know? Like, they had to have started this well before we knew that the Switch was coming. You know? If it is truly a substantial upgrade to Smash. You know, even if it is Smash 4.5. And, like, we talked, what, two weeks ago about how Sakurai said he'd been working on it for, like, some time. So, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he Well, he said he'd been, wor- he'd been working on it day after day, which is – that That's that true. could mean a lot of things. Yeah, you're projecting a little bit, I guess, when you assume that it's been worked on for a while. Yeah, I, I, I am not willing to say that this is a new Smash. I'm just not. This is very weird. This is not like the way they've ever handled a Smash release before. They've always given you ample information about what was coming, what characters, every day with some type of uh, information, literally every what day. What was the name of the website that they did with Brawl? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just SmashBrothers.com. But yeah, that it was, was like Brawl shit. Dojo. Some oh, shit like Smash that. Yeah, Dojo, Dojo like right? That. Yeah, but but yeah. this is just not this is not typical, and because it's not typical, it leads me to believe that we're going to see an atypical release from them. I, I think I think I agree with you. Um, I definitely am not confident enough to say one way or the other, though. Uh, this is so interesting, though, because I wonder if we're going to start getting hints about some of this stuff because I. Th- think that they said in the article that they're like planning on giving some of these pro players access to the game a little bit in advance so they can get a feel for the changes and everything so like if they are like you that is an interesting thought to me because if there are changes that are significant enough that they need to see the game in advance like maybe it is different than smash 4 maybe it's like they took the smash 4 engine and like tweaked it you know and like this is uh, out wave built dashing. a new game on that on those bones. This is not. This is again. This is not. This is that's very typical. Uh, every every fighting game developer always brings in pro, pro players sure. to play the game and test the game before it, they show it off much. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, do do you think that like if they were, do you think they would still do that if the engine hadn't changed? Like if it was just we're adding some new content and. Well, I mean, I guess if there's new characters, that would be enough of a reason to have them come. If there's in. literally anything new, it makes sense to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. This this is interesting. This is interesting to me. I don't. I like. I really like the the point you made about how different this is than they've ever done it. Like, makes every single thing that they announce. Like, I'm thinking about it. I'm overthinking. Because it's like, this is so unprecedented. Like, what's happening, you know? I just want to know. I'm so excited for this tournament, you know? And, like, to really see, like, 
who are they going to call in? You know, who are the pro players they're going to bring in? What are their reactions to it going to be? How different is it really going to be? Like, what new stuff are they going to show off? Like, I don't know, man. I'm definitely like, I like that announcement itself was exciting to me, but for whatever reason, this specifically has got me like, hype. like, <laughs> yo, what's going on? What's going on? My yeah. final statement on this for the day is if this is just a port, then and, and and with some like new bells and whistles, then yeah. all of this that they've been doing, this like weird tease of not of of nothing, is going to backfire. Like if it's I don't if know, it's Sean. not a new game, this is a really bad thing that they're doing. They should be like, upfront if it's not a new game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that like they shouldn't be teasing us with is it new? Is it not? New? Yeah, it should just yeah. they should just say it's not, so that we don't go into E3 hoping for a new game and then get disappointed. The last thing I want to feel on E3 is disappointment. Yeah, that's a good point. I will say though, for me, like if it is Smash 4.5 and it is like significant additions and retooling, like that won't kill my hype. You know, like I I, I am excited. By the idea of that. I'm really, really glad that you feel that way. That is not the general sentiment. Yeah, and I, I definitely – there's a lot of Smash players that will be very angry because uh, there's a lot of Smash players who are already very angry because they're like, well, that's what's happening. So I'm mad. There are, like, I right. feel like no matter what happens, a lot of Smash players being very angry is like a constant in this universe. What? Yeah. I mean, we are talking about video games. The Smash so. 5 is announced. There's nobody mad. Yeah, That's a joy. Just moment. fucking flip their wigs. The small <laughs> but very vocal contingent who wanted an HD port of Brawl, though. <laughs> one day, one day it'll happen. It's like a dozen people, it, but I've seen it before. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that at some point. You know, like I, I definitely think uh, an HD version of of Melee would fucking sell like hotcakes. So, uh, we shall see. I guess. Uh, so moving right along into the world of Sony, God of War has gotten a new trailer and 15 minutes of gameplay, and this shit looks fire! Yes! I am very excited about this one. Uh, so early reports, um, so okay, first of all, uh, they did a very comprehensive look at the game on the over on the PlayStation blog, so if you want, uh, I've linked to it down below, there's, a, like I said, a three minute trailer that kind of walks you through the combat, and then they, like, have an extended, like, 15 to 16 minute version that shows you some of the more intricacies of it. If you go read the blog post, they explain, like, here's, like, the button mapping, and here's what the combos feel like, and how they work. So if you're interested in that, like, level of nitty gritty reporting about it, uh, definitely go read this PlayStation blog. Um, I'm gonna just kind of take you through some of the top level stuff, and then I want to hear what you guys had to say about it. Uh, so early reports that I'm seeing uh, seem to be predominantly positive. Um, I have seen a number of people who are like old God of War fans who have complained that um, it seems like Kratos has kind of slowed down a little bit in his old age, which given the narrative, that seems appropriate. Um, like there's no jump button. Which was always a big thing what? in God of War. So, like, combat is a lot less aerial. Like, there are aerial combos, but they said it's a lot more, like... There's, there's a lot bigger focus on Kratos being, like, on the ground and kind of, like, more of a brawler. And when there are aerial combos, it's a lot more, like, he'll uppercut somebody and, like, kind of throw himself into a combo on top of them as opposed to, like, leaping and slashing, you know, which is a pretty big change. You know, Sean, I saw you just reacted to that. So, does, does that – is that concerning to you at all? 
Uh, no, because I'm sure that whatever they're doing is going to make sense in terms of what yeah. they're going for with this game. It's just initially shocking because of how aerial-based the combat in God of War always was. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are like, no jump button? Like, what the fuck? And it's like, yeah, it's different. I mean, it's very different. I'm cool with it, but it, you know, uh, I don't know if that's just like... Because, like, I haven't played a God of War in so long or not, you know? Yeah. Like, I love the other ones, but now I think about it, like, yeah, they're really about jumping in the air. Like, 80% of my shit was just, like, throwing people up in the air and, like, you know, juggling forever and shit, so. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fresh, you know? It for seems the series, like the, at least. The combat is way more focused on, like, your weapon and, like, how you use the axe, it seems like. Because it seems like a big part of it. Um, something mm. that, uh, that I remember... Um, so I was listening to uh, Greg Miller from Kind of Funny had like gone and played it for a couple hours and gave some impressions. And one of the things that he said was like the combat feels a lot more visceral. Like there are like moments that like it's like intimate, like you're like fighting for a kill as opposed to just like mowing people down. You know, like he said that there was like a moment early in the game where it was kind of like a boss fight where like he was like choking somebody and like had literally like thrown the guy in a headlock and was like strangling him. And was like, that's like not the kind of shit you've seen Kratos do. It's more like cartoony where he's like very like we're hacking and slashing whereas this it feels a lot more like he's having a struggle a little bit like he's lost a step since he's not been fighting and like he is you know having to work more to get these kills and that like it really um makes it feel a little bit more like involved which sounds really cool to me um so yeah then like again the big Focus seems to be on the axe that he's got now. And it, it like, there's a lot of like Milnir kind of style, like fighting to it. Like a big thing of it seems to be throwing the axe and then calling it back. So like you can throw it at somebody, kill them, turn around, like punch a dude and then call it back to you without even turning around. And he'll just be like, and catch it and like fucking throw it again or, or slash or whatever. And like, it seems very involved. And, uh, that's the thing I think looks the coolest for sure. Um, and then just one other thing I wanted to touch on that I remember that Greg had pointed out that really stuck out to me is apparently the game is bragging and about how there's, like, no loading screens. And, like, it's apparently pretty true. Like, he said that when you start the game up, like, the opening title screen is Kratos sitting against a tree. And when you hit new game, he just stands up and then, like, you're in the game. What? Oh. Oh. And I was like, what? Like, that is fucking cool. It's a very little thing, That's but dope. very cool. Yeah. I played something uh, last year that did that, and it was just like some dopey indie title. I, I, I can't just, remember the name of it right now. It's like you're just like sitting at like a campfire, and then like like as soon as you hit new game, the guy just like stands up and like brushes himself oh, off. I remember I, that. I yeah, it's driving me nuts now. Um, it was I think that but, zombie survival game that you were playing maybe. the RPG. Either way, yeah, um, it was really cool though. Yeah, so this I think overall there's a lot of really positive information coming out of this this new leak or not leak release, uh, and then hearing overall reactions to it from the game's press and influencers who have gotten to play it, uh, it sounds really good. Um, which, not that I'm surprised, but uh, what, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Like, what did you think of this video? What's your overall, like, level of excitement for God of War right now? I feel like it makes absolute sense for the... Uh for like the jumping and all that jazz, not to go, not to go back a little bit, but like I no, feel yeah, like I feel like people are gonna don't realize they're gonna miss it until they play. If that makes sense, because like I'm hearing a lot of positive mm. stuff about like you know oh it makes sense for for the 
for the uh, for the story, and I think it is like perfect for continuity because we're seeing we're seeing uh, Kratos get a little bit like older, and and you know now he has a kid, which was kind of weird to start with, but whatever. So, um, dad of war, dad of war, apparently. <laughs> but um, I love it. But like, I think it makes sense, and like, it'll make sense in the story. It already feels like it makes sense in the story. Like, it feels like a nice progression, which I think yeah. is why people are so okay with it because it isn't like you get you're like what what the fuck like why. Instead, it's more of, okay, seeing what I have seen from the trailer and just seeing from, in general, what this new God of War game is going to be, that makes perfect sense. And that's why I'm okay with it. Um, but and apparently it feels good. Yeah. Like, that's the thing is like from, you know, they let people come out and play it for like two or three hours from the start, you know, and just like get a taste of it. And, you know, um, it's different, but it sounds like it's good. So uh, I'm watching the uh, the 15 minute long gameplay trailer now as we've been discussing this, and uh, what's really interesting is the rawness of it. God of War always felt over the top. You know, we've talked about it before, and I think you described it as like a like a very much a, a teenager bro fantasy type game. Yeah, and. Um, this doesn't feel like that. It, whether you did, whether you agree or disagree that that's what God of War was, mm. this doesn't feel like that. This feels very much like, and again, without knowing a ton about what it's what it's about story wise, feels like a guy fighting for survival, not a guy fighting for dominance, which is a totally different narrative that's reflected in the gameplay. The 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 enemies, just the regular enemies have enough health that you can't just mow them down in a single strike or a single combo. You have to yeah. work for every kill. And that's fun and that's different. Feels um, like the last And the thing you just said too, uh not yes. to interrupt, but like <laughs> there isn't a combo thing. Like there's no like you know like God of War would always be like combo, combo, right. like here's the number of things you've killed and people you've hit and that's not present. Right. Exactly. It's very sm- it's very slow. Um, it's very streamlined, and Peggy just said, uh, feels like The Last of Us, I think, right, Peggy? Yeah, um, yep, definitely. Yeah, I totally uh, agree without having played salient. the game, but having seen it, I get that same vibe for sure. Right, like, I know a big thing, and again, I haven't played Last of Us, but a, a big thing that I remember from the very little bit I did play of it, um, was, like, when Joel, like, kills a smoker, that's what they're called, right, smokers? Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, uh, Left for Dead. What are they? Clickers. Yeah. Is that what they're called? Clickers, clickers? yeah, because they yeah. click. Yeah. Like. Okay. Because they click. Um, Smokers is Left for Dead, so. Okay. Um, but, like, it's not... It doesn't feel like an action kill, right? Like, when he chokes one of them out, like, it's like he's struggling, they're struggling. Like, it feels like a traumatic event, you know? Like, like it feels like you said, like, a guy fighting for survival. Mm-hmm. Not <laughs> just a guy fucking mowing people down. And, like... That's really cool. That's different for Kratos. And like, it, it feels like almost like Logan, you know, yes. like where it's like, yeah, yes. like, okay, I'm into this narrative. I'm really into the idea of, of Kratos who's lost a step and is like trying to connect with his son. And like, you know, like that, that's like, that's a character. That's a character with motivations and like a story that's interesting, not a fucking meat pile killing other meat piles. Hey man, you know? don't knock on meat piles killing meat piles. <laughs> Platinum Games got to make some money somehow, right? Yeah, it's like fine. We have Bayonetta. We don't. <laughs> we already have a George Andy. <laughs> Devil May Cry got remastered, right? And Devil May Cry Five is probably right around the corner. So I'm really happy to see God of War moving in a different direction. 
The only other thing I wanted to say real quick is um, everything we're saying is 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 nice, but don't think that the don't think that that means that the gameplay is boring. I would recommend that if you are yeah. curious, check it out for yourself. It looks like a, a lot of fun. The fighting is fluid, and I'm excited to step into this world. It's not the same as the God of War that you know, but it's still very cool and very, based on what I'm seeing, very fun and fluid. To me, like, it looks like there's a lot more depth to it yeah. than there ever was. Yeah. You know, and like, and I, the God of War games, gameplay has never been a problem. You know, like, they know how to make a fucking hack and slash game. But the fact that this seems like it's a little bit deeper, that there's more ways for you to, to uh, combat enemies and um, that there is more kind of like style to the way you're fighting versus the way that, that you're fighting looks. Uh, that's cool. You know, like I don't feel like this is going to be a game with like quick time events, which is neat. Like I, I'm, I not that there won't be, cause I know we saw some of them with like, I'm sure when there's like a big fucking boss, you're going to do that at one point, but it's cool that it seems like there's a lot more intricacy to the way that you're able to fight enemies, you know, right. and how you can choose to, to, you know, enter combat. Um, Andy, you, I don't feel like you've gotten a word in that here. Do you like, have any thoughts on I this? I really don't. Like, I have no particular attachment to God of War or interest in this game, really. Okay. Like... I mean, you're not going to be able to play it anyway. Like, so. Even if I could, I, I'm not gonna. It's... Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, like, it looks fine. It's just not my thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't have any attachment to God of War. Uh, and for whatever reason, um, this is just... It's speaking to me. I'm looking forward to this one. Um, so God of War drops this April. Get hype. Oh god, that's like next that's week. Awesome. Fuck. I know, it's so it's so close. Does like, time go? I know. I uh, think there's we, a yeah, we have there a date. It's, I think it's April, I wanna say twenty seventh. Oh my god, that's incredible. April's gonna be such a great month. Wow. So looking at the calendar, I think it's gotta be the <laughs> It's on four twenty, right. That was the thing. Even okay, better. yeah, so it's you can it's buy a special earlier, edition yeah. for sixty nine dollars. Sixty nine, sixty nine. Um, Pete, are you going to pick this up? Definitely. Cool. I, I had no plans on buying it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, this is a day one purchase for me for sure. Nice. So I'll definitely get to vicariously live the experience through you somehow. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, we'll do some. We'll definitely do some let's plays of it. I would imagine. Uh, my one concern here is that it's just so close to Far Cry that it's like I'm going to need to fucking sequester myself and beat Far Cry Five before <laughs> this game comes out. <laughs> You're not going to be Far Cry 5 before this comes out. Oh, I will. No, man, there's other shit coming out, too. It's not the only game you're going to play. There are, but literally every other game can fucking blow me when Far Cry 5 comes out. <laughs> like, I don't give a fuck about are anything sure? else for, for a month after Far okay. Cry 5. Far, right, like, man. Far Cry games are a serious event for me. Like, when I played the first Far Cry, I had, like, heard a little bit about it. I got into it, and I religiously played it every free second I had until it was done. Far Cry 4 came out at one of the most busy times in my college career, and I was just literally, like, I was um, an editor at my school's newspaper, and I remember talking to my assistant, I was like, look, Far Cry 4 comes out this week, you're working your ass off. It's like, <laughs> you're doing twice as much work, I'm fucking playing Far Cry, this is what's happening. Wow. <laughs> so, I admire your it. commitment. So, hey, whatever. He knew what he was getting into. Fun anecdote that I just <laughs> learned from Wikipedia They've replaced Kratos, like the the actor playing Kratos, um, from the guy who was him traditionally to mm-hmm. Magneto from X Men Evolution. <laughs> what? That's awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I'm about it. Uh, so on that note, uh, Peggy put this one in today. 
Uh, Defiance 2050 beta launches April 20th to the 22nd on PS4. Apparently so, uh, everything's uh, real quick. on 420. Yeah. Fucking bam, 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 bam. Yo, listen, stoners need shit to do on 420, and everybody else needs an excuse to, I don't know, not to get high, I guess. I don't that, know. That, 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 <laughs> yeah, I gotta have something to yeah. do. Everybody's fucking getting stoned. I can't go anywhere. Like, <laughs> play games. Uh, yeah, right. What, what better time than to play this weird free to play game that's based on a fucking movie or whatever? Okay, all right. Um, so. Uh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah hold on. Yeah, Back yeah, up I'm now. just busting balls. Here's how it starts. So, uh, yeah, so. Um, yeah, Peggy, do you want to just explain this one? Okay, so, uh, Defiance was a sci-fi show that ran for three seasons, uh, and- Sci-fi, the channel sci-fi, Somehow. Right? Yeah, somehow, somehow three seasons. Uh, I was actually I pretty, like, I was a fan of the show, like, it wasn't bad, uh, it replaced Warehouse 13 in my heart for, like, 0.2 seconds, and I was, but- uh, it was it was a series where essentially it was post apocalyptic and it had all these sci fi elements, of course, because it's on sci fi. But like it was it was interesting and it was definitely um, um, enthusiastic, I guess. Like uh, not not enthusiastic. Like it was uh, uh, I forget the word. They had some chutzpah behind it. Yeah, but it just didn't. It I don't just know didn't how to come together it either. Well. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, Thompson and I have the same idea when it comes to Defiance. Yeah, I it was like, I can't believe it ran for three seasons. Like, hearing that is actually super surprising yeah. to me. I definitely <laughs> thought it got canceled after one. No, 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 no. No, uh, no, no, no. It didn't no, look no, like no. it needed to be canceled after one. It looked like maybe after two it would have been canceled. Yeah. And then three came out, and I was like, pleasantly kind of surprised maybe yeah. but yeah know. anyway like the real hook of it because like honestly no offense guys nobody cares about the lore of defiance uh <laughs> was that it was this crappy sci-fi show that also had an mmo yes. that was connected to it and that the stories of the game and the show interacted with each other wow. that is yeah. correct it was originally yeah. uh 60 bucks and then the dlc was 50 dollars. and i'm the asshole who bought both before it went free to play within a year so <laughs> and then they closed and then they closed it. <laughs> yep. So, in my, for some in my reason, defense, it was actually a pretty good MMO. Like, very barebone and, like, that sort of, like, idea. But, like, the story wasn't terrible. Sometimes it wasn't there, but it wasn't terrible. And I'm sorry, Peggy. Are you talking about Crisis Core again? <laughs> I will log off and you will not have any recording. <laughs> but... Uh, it, it actually, and, like, the combat system was way better than Crisis Core, first off. And secondly, like, it was actually, like, a fairly good game, and I was actually entertained by it. Now, was it worth the $110? No. But it was still a pretty solid game. And I like how this time with Defiance 2050, which is essentially a remake slash spinoff of the original one, I don't think you're going to be playing as your OG uh, Arc Hunter, which is what they were called, uh, like your playable character was called. Uh, because it infused itself with an arc and you had an AI living in your head. No one cares, nerd! <laughs> but I don't think you'll be able to get that, that character care. again, which is kind of sucky. But I'm actually legitimately interested in this game because the, the first one was a lot of fun and I played a lot of hours on it. So, yeah. Was the original one on PlayStation? PS3. Or did you- PS3 okay. and I think 360 as well. Was that old? Yeah, wow, okay. Man. I thought that was no, more it was recent. on the PS1, Pete. Wow. Launched in um, 1997 and Peggy was... That's pretty impressive, honestly. But, uh, Defiance 2050 will be on PC as well. <laughs> okay, oh, well, this beta is only on PS4. Right. So, that's why I was asking. Um, yeah, so, 
if you like Peggy, spend money on this dumbass game. Uh, <laughs> Defiance 2050's summer beta, or no, it's coming out in the summer. The beta will be between April 20th and the 22nd. Uh, it's on PS4. You can go sign up for it right now. And um, hey, maybe this game will last longer than like six months. And I will play uh, it and Peggy, report Peggy back. won't have to like that. I will get into the beta, play it, and report back here because that would be great. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested in hearing uh, how this one looks like it's shaking out. So, uh, moving right along. Uh, Ubisoft has finally escaped Vivendi's clutches and uh, secured their future as a company. Good for you. Yeah, this is huge. This is a huge deal. Um, So just to catch you guys up, I'm going to read a little bit from um, Samit Sakar's article over on Polygon on the subject. Uh, So let's just jump into it. So, he writes, uh, Ubisoft has successfully gotten Vivendi out of its hair. The gaming publisher and the multimedia conglomerate have agreed to a deal in which Vivendi will fully divest itself of Ubisoft, ending once and for all a years-long effort by Vivendi that was seemingly intended to take control of Ubisoft. Vivendi currently holds a 27.27% stake in Ubisoft, amounting to nearly 30.5 million shares, making it by far the largest stakeholder in Ubisoft. It will sell off that entire portion of the company. Under the terms of the deal, Vivendi may not acquire any shares in Ubisoft for a period of five years following the closing of the transaction, which I love that. I think that is the funniest fucking clause of like, stay the fuck away from our shares for five years. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they have to sell them off over the next three years or so, right? And then... Yeah, it's yeah, not the, all the, once, I mean. Yeah, yeah. So um to keep reading here, he says the agreement is a win win. Vivendi's bid to gain control of Ubisoft, which it repeatedly denied, was actually an attempt at a hostile takeover, <laughs> even though that's okay. exactly what it engineered at Gameloft ends here. Um, so for those who don't know, he, he says Gameloft was uh founded by Ubisoft, co-founder uh Guillemont uh and one of the Guillemonts, and um they left like and allowed Vivendi to kind of take it over. And then they basically tried to do the same thing here with Ubisoft. Um, so basically what this means is that they've secured the ability to operate as an independent company moving forward. Um, so you can like, you can see how this aggressive takeover was going over the last couple of years. Vendi spent nearly $800 million over the last three years to acquire shares of Ubisoft. Um, and now they're going to be selling that for 2 billion. So they made money. They made a lot of money. Um, Yeah, and uh, Vendi, like, released that information and then said they had no no further comment on the uh, the deal. Um, but Yves Guillemont, who's the CEO and co-founder of Ubisoft, had quite a bit to say. So he said, The evolution in our shareholding is great news for Ubisoft. It, made possible th- it was made possible thanks to the outstanding execution of our strategy and the decisive support of Ubisoft talents, players, and shareholders. I would like to warmly thank them all. So to to the point that Thompson made, the way that it's getting split up is interesting. It's not all going directly back to Ubisoft. It's being split up among a couple different parties um, that's going to give them controlling uh, share still, but um, is kind of splitting it up through a couple other uh, entities as well. So it's being um, split. Ubisoft itself is buying as much as 8.1%. So we don't know exactly how much that is, but they're going to be buying it back from Vivendi over the course of uh, between 2019 and 2021. So like Thompson said, over the next three years. Uh, and then uh, Gilmont Brothers SE, which represents the, the Gilmont family legally, is buying 2.7% of the company in a cash transaction with Vivendi, which is insane that they're just sitting on that much cash to give them. Mm. Um 
but uh, that purchase is going to give the Guillemont's stake uh, to 15.6% of the company overall. So they, they're taking a, a more commanding share, um, which will hopefully keep it so that they can't be forced out again in a situation like this where they're, they won't be vulnerable to a hostile takeover. Um, and then here's, here's the other interesting little bit, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. But uh, under the terms of agreement, Ubisoft is welcoming two groups into the fold as, quote, long-term investors. The Ontario Teachers what? Pension Plan. Yeah, that's the right reaction, Sean. Uh, an independent mm-hmm. organization that administers pensions for about 318,000 teachers in Canada's most populous province. And Tencent, which is the Chinese conglomerate that is already a major player in the gaming space. We've talked a lot about Tencent over the years. Tencent owns a, uh, a stake in many, many publishers. They own a piece of Epic. Uh, I think they already owned a piece of Ubisoft. Um, they bought, uh, blue, what is it? Blue, blue hole slash like they're the, they're the driving force behind uh, PUBG mobile. PUBG. Right. And, and, uh, PUBG Corp. Yes. Right. Is, is owned by them. And, and they, the way that they've, they've really worked themselves into the industry is making partners like they did here with Ubisoft, where they own a certain amount of shares of the company and they basically give them an influx of cash and are like, Hey, we don't want to see it on your board. We don't want any commanding stake in the company, but you're going to allow us to publish your games in China on mobile devices. And it's been really lucrative for a lot of these companies. It works for Activision. They brought Call of Duty over there. Uh, they did this with uh, Epic and Fortnite. They did it with PUBG now. So um, yeah, ultimately, so it seems like, seems like a win-win for everybody involved. You know, a lot of people are, are trying to act like they traded one corporate master for another, but Vivendi had controlling Ten- stake in Ubisoft. Tencent's only getting like 5% as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tencent is taking... Five percent. Yeah, you're right. Five percent of right. the company, and neither so, of them is taking a seat on the board of directors. So this is right. simply a uh, 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 financially beneficial partnership. Yeah, Ubisoft retains control. Tencent is just helping them out, and they're getting money for it. Everyone's getting money for it, and they get and, more stuff to publish. Yeah, and they're going to have a larger market, and everyone's going to win from this. So yeah. it really seems like a win. Yeah, and they, they said that the agreement prohibits Tencent from transferring its shares or increasing its voting rights or ownership stake in Ubisoft. So they're not allowed Another, to buy yeah. more than this. They will never own five more per, more than five percent of the company, and they're not allowed to sell it to somebody else. Um, so it seems like they're going to own this slice of the company, have these Chinese publishing rights, and if they do decide to get out, I think the only way out is to sell the stock back to Ubisoft. So yeah, that's what I got from it at least. Yeah. that's what it seems like, right? Um, so yeah, it says that Tencent will operate, publish, and promote several of Ubisoft's most successful titles on PC and mobile in the Chinese market. Um, so that, that, uh, that's the long and short of it. Um, when asked specifically about what games that they were interested in bringing to China with Tencent's help, Ubisoft has said that they don't have, uh, any comment about that yet, but it's obviously something we're going to see probably in the short term. I would imagine games like Tom Clancy, uh, 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 what is it? The sword fighting game for honor. Um, any of those are, are very likely candidates for this, uh, this, you know, this publishing deal. So I know it's a lot to chew on, but with all that, what are what are your thoughts on this? What what are you guys thinking about how this should go out for Ubisoft and you know what it means for the future of the company? I mean, I think we kind of already touched on it, but like it is a win win situation for everyone involved. Um Ubisoft gets to be, you know, free, I guess is is the is the right I mean, term. yeah. Um Yeah. I mean they, they there was a, a, a point before this last fiscal year where it was it looked like very, very dire. For the, the future of, of them being an independent company and for the Gilmots to be involved in Ubisoft at all. Right. Um, 
But it looks like like no one's really losing this deal at all. Maybe uh, who was the the Vendi? Yeah, maybe they but get. They made a billion dollars yeah. on the deal, so yeah. I was gonna say maybe they to blow to their pride a little bit, but like the money's gonna more than make up for that. So like, I I or mean I think this worked else. out probably <laughs> as well as it could have. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah, like, I don't have any particular attachment to Ubisoft. Like, they make a lot of games that a lot of people like, but I'm not one of those people, generally. (laughs) So, like, yeah. Um, It's good that, you know, they avoided a hostile takeover um, and that they have what appears to be a cool thing going on with Tencent, but that's, uh, (laughs) that's the extent of my take on this, really. What about you, Thompson? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, a fan of a lot of these titles that they have, you know, up to a point. Like, I stopped playing Assassin's Creed and stuff, but, you know, sure. I, I really like the design that they've done for, like, a lot of games. Like, they turned Siege around, they turned Foran around. Like, I, I really appreciate that they even care enough to go back to games that they've released, you know, that haven't really hit the mark. And that they support them, you know, and then they keep them going and they breathe new life into them. So and they grow them in a really meaningful way. Yeah. Like they're yeah, nailing it's... games and services right now better than any other person in the AAA space by a lot. Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. Like I I stopped playing almost every game they made for a good amount of time until I, I got back into like Siege a couple years ago and uh it's it's been it's been good to see them like, you know, come out of the funk of like just every year has to be this game or every year that or you know, and, and, and make some truly fun things that um you know, I like to see them make more shit like that. So I'm glad that they're not going to be owned by someone. Um, yeah, glad everyone's making some money on it. You know, it, it really is a great deal for everyone, and uh, really just excited for it. You know, it's a good thing. It's good news for once. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I really agree. Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of Ubisoft. You know, I think they, um, you know, like any company that size, like they've done some shady shit. They've lied. They've made mistakes. But I, I have always been in Ubisoft's corner um, because I think I, I respect Ubisoft, you know, like I think even when they were putting Assassin's Creed on a fucking treadmill, they were honest about it. They said, look, we'll stop putting out an Assassin's Creed every year when you stop buying them, you know, and when fans spoke up, they reacted and they were like, okay, cool. We'll go back to the drawing board. We'll do something yeah, new. Fair enough. They came back. People liked it. It was good again. And, like, I'm not going to go buy a new Assassin's Creed game. But it was a lot of people's game of the year. So, obviously, they did something right. Um, and then, to your point, like, how many games and services they've put out that have not hit the mark or that have had a stumble at launch and they've taken time and put in the resources to make them better and grow them in a meaningful way is, like, really, really good and smart. And I think the fact that they're doing that while also still providing other kinds of games, like, they didn't look at the failure of Watch Dogs 2 and be like, well, we got to make Far Cry a multiplayer game. They're like, no, okay, let's think about how we can offer really attractive season pass and try to get people back over, you know, a length of time by putting putting out meaningful, interesting, engaging content. And um, they're one of the few big publishers that I think, like, really does still have a pretty – like, they have their pulse pretty close to, like, yeah, we're a business. The point is to make money, but we're also here to make art. Like, the fact that they have the Ubi Arts initiative and that they've put out games like um, – uh, uh, what was that game that was set in World War One that they did? Uh, um, Valiant Hearts? Was that Valiant them? Hearts, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Like, games like that, um, they don't need to do that. You know, there's no reason for Ubisoft to make little artistic indie games that are going to make them a modest profit when they're when they make 
you know, For Honor and Assassin's Creed that make them millions, if not billions of dollars, you know? Um, but they do. And they care about doing stuff like that. And I think that's really cool. And I think a free independent Ubisoft is good for the industry. And uh, and I think not having more media conglomerates owning the big, the few big players in gaming is also a good thing. Because we talked about it ad nauseum on the Comics Pals about why the idea of Disney buying 21st Century Fox like is abhorrent to me in my very core. So the idea that this didn't happen to Ubisoft and Ubisoft can remain independent and hold their own future in their hands is awesome. You know, that's, that's very positive in my mind. So, um, and I think the Gilmont staying in charge is good. You know, I think Eves is a, is a great, uh, leader of the company because much like, um, the reason that I, I, I respected, um, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. Um, uh, 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 Awada was that he was a gamer first, you know, and like he's a businessman, but, his roots are in video games and this family cares about Ubisoft. They care about video games. They care about the legacy of what they've built here. And I think it's awesome that they kept it in their hands. So congratulations to Ubisoft. Uh, and congratulations on a great fiscal year 2017. Let's see what you got for 2018. All right. So that's going to take us into our meat and potatoes discussion this week, uh, which is going to be jumping off the back of an article written by none other than Jason, what a real actual video games journalist looks like, Schreier. Uh, so this is a story he uh, filed over at Kotaku, as he's wont to do, uh, called It's Time for Game Developers to Unionize. So uh, this this kind of came comes off of um, GDC was just last week the Game Developers Con- Conference, um, which is a big you know event for actual game developers more so than like the press and everything. Um, but Jason was there and uh, he wrote what I think is a really really interesting piece. Um, I don't usually say required reading with stuff like this, but um, you should really go read this article. I think it will inform the conversation that we're about to have here. So, um, you know, my suggestion, pause the episode, read the article, come back out of this main discussion. However, if you're in the car, you're at work, you don't have time for such a thing, I'll give you the broad strokes, we'll have the conversation, you go read it on your own time. Uh, but definitely, definitely check this out. This is, um, this is what Jason does best, you know? So, uh, I'm, I'm gonna read a bit from his, from his words here, and then we'll, we'll start our conversation here. So, Jason writes, In a small room yesterday inside the massive mosque, Moscone? Moscone. Moscone. Center meeting complex. Roughly 200 people crowded around a large table to conduct a challenging conversation about working in the video game industry. There was a single microphone chauffeured from person to person by a spiriting staffer working with the Game Developers Conference, which is running in town all week. Most people began talking before the mic got to them. Raucous banging, presumably from construction nearby, drowned out many attendees' comments. Despite the din, the buzz in the room was apparent. People were ready for change. Uh, they were there for a roundtable led and moderated by the International Game Developer Association's Jen McLean, titled Union Now, Pros, Cons, and Consequences of Unionization. Over the course of an hour, only one person in the room mentioned the cons and consequences. McLean. McLean. Uh, as the microphone moved from speaker to speaker, the room heard argument after argument in favor of unionization. Every single one was met with applause. One person talked about unions putting an end to exploitative internship programs. Another said they expected a union would uh, protect marginalized members of the community. Quote, if you're not at the table... If you're not at the table, you're essentially on the menu, said Steve Kaplan, a union organizer for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees in Los Angeles, to clapping and cheering. 
McLean, whose organization works to, quote, advance the careers and enhance the lives of game developers, unquote, responded to each point with questions, asking if the audience really thought a union would solve all these problems, and repeating several times that she felt it was important to have these discussions. Game developers have discussed unionization in the past, but at GDC 2018, the notion was has more momentum than we've seen in modern times. A group called Game Workers Unite, in large part inspired by McLean's Roundtable, has passed out buttons and zines, started social media campaigns, and helped drive conversations all across the world's largest conference for video game developers. In crowded hallways during the day and dive bars at night, developers are suddenly talking about organizing and about how it might happen, whether it's a good idea, and what it might look like. To not take... Uh, action means accepting the status quo. To accept the status quo means being fine with brutal unpaid overtime, systemic layoff cycles, and other well-documented industry abuses. In my reporting over the years, both for Kotaku and in my recent book, which you should go check out, I found it impossible to meet a game developer without a work-related horror story. Um, so he's got a quote here from an article he wrote um, for the New York Times last fall. We talked about it at that time. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but anecdotes about Game Crunch. Here we end to the end about what I wanted to touch on. So there are no hard indicates there are no hard numbers to indicate how many experienced developers have burned out and left because of the lifestyle, but there are plenty of anecdotes. Um, so then he talks about the article he did last year or earlier this year rather about visceral games and and the layoffs that they had there, which we've talked about ad nauseum. Go check out that episode. Um, and then here's here's a quote I did want to share. Exploitation is universal in the games industry, said Emma, a game developer and one of the organizers behind Game Workers Unite. She asked that I not use her last name. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican or a conservative or a liberal or a socialist or a Marxist, you're still being exploited. Emma told me that Games Workers Unite started as a conversation between a few uh, lefty game developers before ballooning into a discord with hundreds of members across big budget indie mobile gaming uh developers, sorry, um, and a Twitter feed with thousands of followers. Now she says she wants to turn it into a labor organization that provides resources for workers who want to unionize. She said she thinks things we might see at least one company, sorry, she said she thinks we might see at least one company vote to organize within the next few months, although that might, although that might be too optimistic. Quote, what we're doing here is a step, is step one of a thousand, said Emma. We are aware that this is a long, slow, tough process. So, uh, again, the article goes into a lot more from there. They talk a lot about some of the disparity between what gaming CEO make, CEOs make versus the average, uh, you know, you know, coder, artist, whatever, the people who are getting laid off all the time. There's a lot of great information here, and I, I can't just read the whole thing. So please go check it out. Um, get the full story for yourself. Uh, but I wanted to open the question to you guys. Do you think it's time for game developers to unionize? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Thanks Starting for us off hot, Andy. No. What do you got? Um, okay. So I think there were a ton of great quotes thrown around there, but the, the, the best one I thought was the, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yes. It's like um, labor in really – any society, but particularly a capitalist one, is, like, exploitative by nature. Like, you are selling your time so someone else can make more money than they pay you off your labor. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that is just, like, that's a f- the fundamental nature of it. I think that um, organizing and, you know, being able to talk about it as a group is better for the like employees than 
not. And frankly, if, you know, what I think really happens is game developers unionize, um, publishers take a hardline stance of like, well, okay, I guess we're going to have to raise prices. Uh, people don't buy games at $80 and then CEO pay goes down. I think yeah. I think it'll be a weird year or two for the industry, but I think it'll, in the end, be better for it. I mean, it could also very easily lead to a strike, which we yep. saw with the voice actors yep. uh, guild, which was hugely impactful on games, and like that can't happen with uh, yeah, like developers. with if if devs walk out, games stop. We have a year without video games, you know, or, or like, or at least uh, we would have nothing but indies for a while. I'm okay with it. I mean, yeah, like that could be okay. Um, give me a chance to catch up on all the games, indies, like and Japanese imports. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's fair. Because, um, you know, nobody cares about them exploiting their workers. I mean, I think it's a great idea. I think that uh, there's no there's no reason I can think of that there's not a union already within the gaming industry. I mean, um, the, the, the article is expansive, as you said, and there's a lot to it. Um, one of the things that's mentioned is that uh, Bobby Kotick, who's the CEO of Activision Blizzard, made 33 million dollars you know in, in, in salary um and stock and that the workers the average game developer makes eighty three thousand dollars which is actually pretty damn good uh no that's that's yeah, nice. that's not a bad salary um, but that's <laughs> they say it in the article that's one three hundred and ninety eighth of what bobby made that's that's a massive uh discrepancy and that's like normal right like that's not that's not terribly surprising but when when there are still and and again from the article they're laying off hundreds of workers at infinity ward and b nox and other studios why is he making so much money why are they surpassing the revenue expectations for the the year 2016 or rather um uh uh 14 2014 um i'm sorry (laughs) 2017 in February of 2017, uh, they laid off all those people despite doing really well. Why are those people on the chopping block when Bobby's making $33 million and they're surpassing their revenue uh, targets? That, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm not saying that a union eliminates problems yep. like that, but it gives them a fighting chance. And I think that that's fair. How does that affect the industry itself? Uh, I'm not going to claim I understand how that would work. I think you guys are probably in the ballpark. Um, but uh, Game prices go up or CEO pay comes down. One of them is know which happen. one is not happening. So get ready to fork out more money for games, which I have said on this podcast before, and I firmly still believe it. I don't think gamers are ready to pay more than $60 for it. And I don't think that's going to happen. Like, I really don't. Like, I, I don't think we'll see a price hike because I, I think it would fuck them. Like, I, I think it would be the kind of thing of like, oh, well, we need to do the price hike to make more money. But the amount of sales you lose for it being $70 instead of $60, I think probably shoots you in the Yeah, I, I believe we've reached peak price. And obviously, gaming developers have gotten very smart about ways to pad the price of games by giving you game passes or, yeah. you know, whatever they do. And that's all fine. DLC. That's all, you know, what it is. But um, I don't want to see video game developers suffer for their craft uh, just to feed the pockets of you know CEOs who aren't on the front lines or in the trenches 
actually doing the the heavy lifting of making these games happen. Yeah. Yo, and especially when you're talking about right, like the and not to throw um, what's his name, the Bobby Activision Blizzard CEO. Yeah, not to throw Bobby under the bus because you, like you said, he's not the big bad. It's like everyone's like this, but when he's making that much money and a lot of it's coming from like bonuses and stuff too because of performance, it's really shitty for you to lay off people who are succeeding at their jobs and exceeding expectations and making you get that bonus so you can have it. You know, it's like, why don't you give those people some fucking job security and like, you know, shave off fucking $5 million off your $33 million uh, fucking salary. You know, you don't need to make $33 million a year, man. Yeah, uh, everything that Sean has said about that kind of stuff and Pete, what you were just saying, uh, you guys know I've I've gone to bat for the little guy getting screwed every time in these, these scenarios. So I, I personally don't understand why we haven't seen something like this already. And, uh, you know, I think it sucks when you see people get laid off for, like, you know, the company's not tanking. So, like, that's weird. It's just this, how it goes. It's, it's very common. Yeah. It's not abnormal, you know. Like, you make a game, everybody gets kicked out. Like, big deal. Um, not everyone, but you know what I mean. It's it's just, uh, it would be good to know that there's a little bit more security. Like Sean said, give them a fighting chance. Um, I also don't really have any idea if it's going to screw us in the end, you know, like if developers are just gonna, or CEOs are just going to say, screw it, you know, like we're going to raise the price um, or if they're going to take a drop in pay or whatever. I really don't know. Or maybe it'll just be jerks and be like, screw it. Game development costs are now going to be slashed, you know, <laughs> or maybe as soon as people unionize, they try to fire, you know, half of them in some weird way. Who knows? But I think. I mean, they've done that shitty things sometimes. That could happen too, right? They could be right. like, hey, if you're in the union world, we're not going to hire you. We're only scab. Yeah, I guess hire what? Scab- uh, what do they call them? Scabs. Scabs. Yeah. 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 Everyone's a scab. I mean, like, that could be a thing. Um, happens. But Square yeah, did that shit with the voice actors strike where they're like, hey, yeah, well, we want right. to make Life is Strange, so we're going to hire scabs. You know? Yeah. And it's not like a bad thing. People all, everyone's got to work. Yeah, so, that's what it is. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it terraforms the world around us, but I think it's a good policy and it's at least a good start for something, you know, because sure. it may not be perfect, but uh, these people do need uh, help, a helping hand. It seems, it seems to me that we've seen too many people get screwed for really just doing the right thing a lot of times, like just working your butt off and, and uh, not really seeing the fruits of your labor, you know. Um, yeah, and and frankly, being exploited, you know, like people yeah, who are really. like working crunch right. and they're working seven days a week, ten hour days, twelve hour days to make hey. this goal, and then they get fired. Dude is working on the bus, you know, making that, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's Raider, screenshot, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> that's a thing, you know, like that yeah. guy's only working on the bus because he doesn't have enough time to do it at home, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, you know how many how many stories do you hear of like you know designers who like sleep in their office and don't see their kids, and you know, like they sacrifice their life. You know, yeah. to, to make this piece right. of art. Um, and yeah, I, I think they deserve to see something for that, you know? Yeah. If, you know, if not money, is job security, something, anything really. Yeah. Just right. throw exactly. a bone. Like just knowing that you don't have to w- look for another job when this project is up would be it, a big difference. Yeah. You know, like. If the, if the average game developer is making $80,000 a year, I certainly am not arguing that that's not a great amount of money. That's really nice. But the fact oh, that course. you can go from making that to making nothing overnight just because you finished your task is nuts. And uh, there's a there's yep. an anecdote in this article um, uh, by Jen, Jen McLean. Uh, she says that uh, she herself, um, she worked with um, 
she worked with her and her husband worked at 38 studios and they showed up at work just randomly to find out that they were just they didn't have a job from one day to the next right and, and that's the kind of thing that like that is something that a union could alleviate where you negotiate for contracts and you have a clause that says you can't do that you can't pull the rug out from that I was just going to bring studios. that up yep. uh, yeah 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 uh, oh. or not that uh, the MMO uh, yeah, Moral Heroes yeah yeah like, I remember um, the kind of funny guys are friends with somebody who worked on the game and he came on their show the day after it was canceled and was like, I literally, we didn't hear about it until they were like, they sent an email that was like, hey, we might be having some trouble or whatever. And then the next day they're like, company's going under, game's canceled. Like, you're, you're out of a job. And it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, it's like, and like, you know, this is just this one guy, but it was like, all of a sudden it was like, he had a, his dog was sick. And had a bunch of vet bills that had been accrued that was like, well, I have a job. Thank God I have one that I can pay for this. All of a sudden, he's unemployed. He's got rent due in a couple weeks. His dog's sick. And all of a sudden, him and his girlfriend are surviving on one salary. You know? Because, like, they couldn't be bothered to tell their employees that the fucking company was tanking. Yeah. Which which could have been easily avoided, you know, there's some kind of notice, anything, seriously. Yeah. And having know. having a union to lobby on your behalf is important for stuff like that. Taking it back to the um the allegations against Quantic Dream, even, right? Like and again, they're allegations, there's been a lot of back and forth on that. But being able to go to, you know, like your union when the HRF doesn't do something or like when you are being taken advantage of, you are in a hostile environment, having someone to lobby on your behalf is important, you know? And like when you're just trying to like do your job and survive every day, like maybe you don't want to fight a fucking crusade. That's why you're in a union. You know, that's why, that's why unions exist is to fucking act on behalf of workers, you know? Yeah. And it's like, not to say that unions are, you know, perfect. I'm sure, like, somebody out there is going to hear this and be like, well, I had bad experience with union X slash Y slash, you know, teachers unions are evil slash whatever. But, like, sure, I I think it's important for, like, workers to be able to, like, talk collectively. Like, there's this whole, like, culture, especially in, like, American office supplies where it's like you and everyone else you work with competing against each other on behalf of the company and not like working together to get better for everyone where it's like the same way it's taboo to talk about your salary right like that's, you can get in trouble that's some like that. uh you legally can't get in trouble um oh really yeah you're not allowed to prohibit they it just pressure yeah, you to feel like yeah you can. exactly you're allowed to <laughs> discourage it and say like oh that's not professional or whatever but that literally exists so somebody uh, can't find out like how much money you're making go to your boss and say i want to make the same as pete yeah <laughs> i did that at my job once it <laughs> why do you think i'm salty I mean, about worked, my job yeah. they weren't happy about it <laughs> peggy do you have any thoughts on this yeah i I mean, like, everyone's kind of said already what I would have said, um, which is why I've been, like, really quiet, because it's like, oh, yeah, that that point is the, yep. Uh, I don't really see, or actually, the one thing I would say is I think you guys are really, 
I don't mean it as strong as I'm going to say it, but you are delusional if you think that the games industry will not up the price point more than 60 bucks if this happens. I think that's exactly what's, or maybe it'll depend on the studio, but I think that's exactly what will happen. I don't think 60 is a cap, not by any means. I can see this going up to, to 80 bucks, to 90 bucks even. No way. No way. Oh, man, that's, I could see, that's crazy. Someone can do it. I could, I can absolutely see that because someone will app like the the higher ups will absolutely not take a price cut if they can make money other way another way yeah but like that like ignores like the greater context of like the way that video games are priced and how they're priced like you can't like if you like me at you know ubisoft right Mm -hmm. if i'm like well we gotta up the price because we're not making you can't just make all your like all our games are 70 dollars now everyone else's are still 60 like it would have to be like an industry-wide push to raise the price or you'd suffer good which is like happening because someone's gonna do it first all it needs is someone to pull the trigger once and then everyone else will follow suit i feel like that if it works if it works right but i'm saying which i don't think it will I'm saying I would not be surprised if people either A, try it, or B, it sticks, depending on what happens. But I, I don't think that six. The, my main point was I don't think $60 is the price cap for games. I think we're going to see at least being trialed, and I think we could see some places actually do it, depending on the studio. I don't think it's going to be a across the board kind of thing, though. Okay, right? that like, I, agree I don't think with. it's right. impossible to say that there's going to be a game that is more than $60, right? Like, that already exists. It's called Super Smash Brothers if you want to play with GameCube controllers, right? Like, that you can charge more than $60 for a game by asking for additional stuff. You want to buy the season pass to get all the content. You want to buy this additional peripheral to get the full experience. This, that, whatever. But I think seeing a industry-wide price increase for traditional boxed games to over $60 in response to the unionization of game developers is something I think is super unlikely. Because I, 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 I don't think that, like, and I'm, I'm not sitting here saying that they're not going to raise prices because they're altruistic or whatever, but I, I think that that would affect bottom lines. I don't think that raising the price of games $10 is going to make them more money because they're going to lose sales. Gamers already are choosy with games that they buy because of price points, uh, especially when you talk about games that come out that are similar to each other. Uh, which happens, you know, all the time. And people have to choose between them, not only because of the money, but the time investment in, in playing a game. And I strongly feel like I can tell you for myself, $60 is it. That's it. I've bought plenty of games that were a collector's edition or came with some kind of pass or whatever to where it was like, you know, $80, $90 or whatever. But if it's, sure. if the flat rate goes above $60, I'm done. That's it. I'm done. I'm only going to buy a couple of games a year, the ones that really, really speak to me. And that's it. Because, or you or wait, wait for, for sales. sales. Because no. they're already making, in, in my mind, and I don't care how this sounds, they're making enough money. I'm not interested in spending more money for the same experience I was just getting. It's not going to happen. There's no way. I'm not saying that they won't do it. I'm saying I'm out. And I think that a lot of gamers feel that same way. And the proof is in the fact that they haven't done it yet. You think that they don't want to make 10 more dollars? The, the price has been the same for like 15 years and they haven't raised it. Yes. And that's because they know that if they do, they're going to see a huge shift in the amount of money that they make. And that's why they do literally everything around raising the price. That's why they do yes. that. 
Yep. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that sentiment 100%, Sean. I think, do I think that they would try to find new ways to make more money? Yes. Do I think it would be that by raising the boxed price of a, uh, the price of a boxed copy of a game? Definitely not. I think we'd see more microtransactions. I think we'd see more season passes. Okay. I think we'd yeah. see more, more ways to try and squeeze more money out of us. But I, I, I don't think that we'll ever see, and, and maybe not never, but not anytime soon that we'll actually see a hard line. Games are seventy dollars now because I think it would. I think it would be bad. Like there are so many games that already don't sell enough copies, you know. And like that ten dollars is enough to be like, you know, oh, you know, this game only got an eight out of ten. Fuck it. You don't even need okay. to, man. You know? There are so many sharks in this world. People who like. We'll, we'll buy, you know, uh, Injustice 2, like me. I'll buy Injustice 2, really like it. There's DLC. Yeah, sure, I'm in. I've spent $40 extra on the game. I've spent $100, so spent $100 on, on that game. game. You don't need it to be 70 because there's people like me who are going to no. do that. And they make so much money. You know how many people buy uh, shards to get skins in that game? Like, those things. Yeah. Like GTA, that fucking yeah. shark cash shit, where, like, They've made billions of dollars just yep, on the in-game right. The amount of money you can make on that is unprecedented. They don't even need the extra $10 because of people who do those no. things. And, and I think I think that is going to be the direction we see them take, if anything. You know? Because um, I agree. CEOs are not oh, going to no. want to take a pay cut. They're not going to just be like, yeah, no, cut my salary. It's fine. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Some of them will. Um, and Because that's not unprecededented. Awada did that for Nintendo. During the Wii U era, when Nintendo had their worst fiscal year, he took a pay cut. And just, that was it. It didn't go anywhere else. He was just like, hey, we're not doing well. I don't need a bonus. So I'm not going to take one. And I think we'll see that. I think there will be some people that do that. Um, is is uh, fucking Blake Jorgensen from EA going to do that? Probably not. But whatever. You know, like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't. I don't think it's impossible to think that we're going to see the cost come back onto us, but I definitely agree with Sean that I think that I believe that publishers are very aware of the fucking hair-thin tightrope that they're walking on by how much money they're allowed to squeeze out from us. Okay, because that's enough. their strategy mm-hmm. every time is squeeze until you scream, you know? Squeeze until you hear them yelp, and then, oh, we're sorry, okay, fine. Pride and accomplishment. Yeah. So I, I, we'll see. Um, Most yeah, final thoughts on this ever. topic. I, my point in response to Peggy's is, the, and the only thing I'm going to say about it is like, they can make the games more than seventy dollars or more than sixty dollars or whatever. Like Undertale costs ten, so <laughs> I'll just play exclusively indies, and I'm fine. Fair with enough. That. Yeah, yeah, and I honestly think we'd see that. I think a significant number of gamers would just be like, you know what. Maybe I don't need to buy four box sixty dollar games. I can buy twenty four copies of Undertale. Peggy, would you would you would you continue to buy boxed games if they did raise the price? Like, where are you on that? Oh no, I I, I wouldn't either. But I'm just saying. I think kind of got a bit like swirled at a concept. But like, I'm just saying, I would not be surprised if that is the thing that is happening. I don't. Like, I could see where you guys are coming from, and I can see that, you know, that's a thing. But with specific companies, I'm not sure if that, I just, I could, I could see a universe where that happens, and I can see that's the universe we're currently living in. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> this is the Wait darkest timeline. 
Yeah, yeah, and I I think that's that's a good note to leave it on. Is like it remains to be seen, but it seems like something's brewing here. You know, I I, I don't think I don't think this is the last time we're going to be talking about this on the show. Um, I I think based on Jason's article and the several stories we've seen coming out about this subject over the last couple of years, and and the way that it's become easier for game developers to communicate and connect. Um, you know, I think a lot of them are just fucking fed up. It's been and, a long time coming for sure. Yeah, and I mean, especially in this industry, it's a it's you know a huge huge industry. Uh, video games make a lot of fucking money, and uh, there's no reason that the people at the bottom, who are the ones really in the trenches, like making the art, uh, should be treated so poorly or should be seen as so expendable. Um, so I think them unionizing and having uh, a body to act on their behalf is definitely a good move for the industry, definitely a good move for the artists who make the art that we like to enjoy, um, which at the end of the day is, you know, those are the people in the industry I want to see uh, taken care of more than the CEO at the top, Oh, yeah. you know? So not to demonize those people either. They're important, but um, there's there's got to be a give and take here. And I think it's – I think uh, – the the time for this, you know, fucking feudalistic uh, approach to game design is is coming to a fast and uh, and and possibly uh, not violence, probably not the word, but messy end. Firing <laughs> change change can be scary and it can also hurt, but at the same time, you gotta keep your head up high and just hope for the best. It's good no tender. Yeah, I like uh, that. Thompson. It's, it's hopeful from Thompson. It's not what you uh, expect to see. <laughs> hey, he's an edge lord with a heart of gold. He's warm and yeah, fuzzy. He's, he's the gold you know? lord with the heart of edge. Wait, yes. <laughs> I do like to dip myself in gold from time to time. <laughs> All right, so that's that's going to wrap up the conversation here on episode forty-eight of the Video Game Pals. Uh, remember, if you want to write in about this or any other episode of the show, talk talk to us about your thoughts on video game developers unionizing. Uh, you know. Hey, what's CD Projekt Red's new game? What's going on with these nindies? Let us know. Hit us up at the video game pals at gmail.com. Follow us at the comics pals wherever your social media is sold to keep up to date with all the cool stuff we've got going on. And uh, as always, please um, share the show, like it wherever you're watching it or listening. Uh, do do what you can to support us. It, it really is a huge help. It makes a huge difference for you to make for just click that share button, click that subscribe button. Um, and if you are an audio listener that hasn't been on YouTube, go over to our YouTube channel. We're doing some cool shit over there. Uh, Thompson has Let's Play shows back. Make sure you go check that out and uh, give us a subscribe. Even if you're an audio listener, it takes two seconds. You have a Gmail account. Log on. Give us a subscribe. Help us fucking get some get some new eyes and ears. Uh, so before we get out of here, we'll do some plugs. Peggy, why don't you start us off? Hey, friends. Uh, the Overwatch League Stage 2 finals are literally today as of this recording. They're in like two hours or so. So yeah, uh, I'll be have articles out about that on Winston's Lab, a couple of analytical ones, which will be really nice, and a couple of things in the wings. Uh, so if you want to keep up with whatever I'm doing, you can follow me at uh, MariahOW, that's M-O-I-R-A-I-O-W on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a very interesting grand final, uh, not a grand final, very interesting playoff uh, with the... F- Philadelphia Fusion versus London Spitfire, and then whoever wins that is going to take on Nixel or NYXL or New York Excelsior. So it's going to be very hype, much wow. Would recommend. Yeah. <laughs> Doger well, watch. Okay. Doger watch. Yeah, thank you. Overdoge. <laughs> so uh, you can always hear me on 
the Comics Pals that post weekly uh, the day before this goes up live. Uh, this week we talked about whether or not the anti-diversity movement in comics is going to destroy the industry. So very interesting topic, and I think you might listen, you might enjoy listening if you're into that. Uh, and of course, uh, you can talk to Let's me on Twitter only at Sean Soapbox, and we can talk about literally anything you feel like talking about because I have an opinion about everything. <laughs> Especially pirates. Sean really wants I to hear. Don't about want him. to talk about pirates at all. <laughs> <laughs> Everything sans pirates. <laughs> Send Sean your video screenshots from your adventures in Sea of Thieves. <laughs> Andy, what about you? You can find me over on Twitter at Tiger underscore Millions uh, if you want to talk more about uh, unions and video games or. You really want to talk about the bad games you love. Um, I am always here to listen to someone defend something that isn't very good. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Jupiter Ascending, so I have no right to criticize anything anyone likes forever. This is true. <laughs> talk to Andy about Ooh. Jupiter Ascending. Talk to me about Jupiter Ascending, please. <laughs> and the barking dog gun. Thompson? Mm. Pete, I just wanted to say that I'm a little disappointed you didn't call Andy the professional Soggy Nelson cosplayer this, uh, early. <laughs> I forgot I was going to do that as his intro. <laughs> I remember I said his normal intro and I just saw a look of disappointment <laughs> on your face, Tom. Yeah, so, I was oh, waiting no. the whole two-something hours to say that. But in any case... I was going to uh, do it next week. <laughs> you blew up my spot. Well, now <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> You can find me at Relic Vampire on Twitter. You can talk to me uh, about pretty much anything. I don't care either. I'll talk about pirates. Whatever, you know, I... I don't, I don't know, man. Talk to me. I don't care. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, for me, you can find me on every single one of our other shows. I'm on the Comics Pass with Sean. Um, I am on our Riverdale Review show uh, every week called they The Riverdale Review. Um, go check that out. Uh, me and Thompson have our, not daily, but it's Monday through Thursday Let's Play show, and then we do streams, uh, Pals Play. Um, go check it out on YouTube or on twitch.tv slash thecomicspals. We'll be streaming this week if my internet doesn't throw up. And uh, if you want more content from me, you can check out my writing over at CBR.com. Um, I've got uh, two articles still making me money right now. One about uh, top 10 best video game covers slash top 10 worst video game covers. And then another one about uh, sketchy slash censored things in the Pokemon anime. Uh, both of them are a good time. I had a lot of fun writing them. Go check them out. Help me pay the bills. And um, remember, I'm also writing news for them now, so if you want to really help me out, you can click on my author title, go to my author page, and just open a bunch of my shit. Just open it, open the thing, look on the page, get me a click, get me some money, be really helpful. Um, and then if you want to just connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, come talk to me about unions and stuff, <laughs> and um, toxic people in comic book fandom. Uh, and then also, um, still streaming, uh, less regular schedule now that me and Thompson are on the Comics Pass schedule, but twitch.tv slash loudpeat, check me out, come help me become a Twitch affiliate. I'd like to make money. And with that, we are the Video Game Pals, signing off. We'll see you next Take week. Take care, guys. Peace.